Pop Culture Affidavit presents It Came From Syndication Episode 3 Infotainment Make it so. We are best girlfriends. Hello and welcome back to Syndication. This is the third episode of It Came From Syndication, a pop culture affidavit miniseries that is brought to you by the two true freaks. I'm Tom Panneries, and I'm going to be spending my time here offering up a retrospective of what you could find on syndicated television in the 1980s and early 1990s. Each episode will focus on a different television genre, and I'll try to give as thorough of a look as possible as to what was on TV back then. Last episode, I looked at sitcoms. This episode, I'm diving into an area I call infotainment. This is basically going to encompass nonfiction stuff like news, sports, reality, and talk shows, of which there were and still are plenty. And to help me along will be my wife, Amanda. So stick around for our conversation, which will start right after this. Well, hey there. This is Huckleberry Ham. And when I'm not busy making movies or TV shows, I enjoy listening to my favorite internet radio show, Two True Freaks. They got all sorts of shows for y'all to listen to, covering all sorts of geeky topics. Star Trek, Star Wars, cartoons, scary movies, folks eating supper, music, giant monsters, and one feller who buys stuff at garage sales. And the funny books. My word, the funny books. Old funny books. New funny books. Scary funny books. Movies about funny books. Funny books about movies. British fellers talking about funny books. And lots more. So why don't you check these fellers out and head on over to twotruefreaks.com and tell them Huckleberry sent you. Two True Freaks, chock full of great podcasts since 2008. Sounds great, Mr. Hound. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, no problem, fellers. Now, if y'all excuse me, I have to run. I'm shooting a movie. It's a western, and if y'all see Quick Draw McGraw, don't tell him. He's still hot at me about the good, the bad, and Huckleberry Hound. And once he gets all El Cabong, he's a pain in the you-know-where. And then there was this one time that he and Baba Louie had a little too much sarsaparilla, and Quickdraw said something to Magilla Gorilla that I won't repeat, you understand? We were shooting Yogi's gang, and things got mighty tense. Boo-Boo, and, and Boo-Boo's a great feller, real sharp, love working with him, 
Boo-boo kept it all from Yogi, you understand. But boy, I tell you, TwoTrueFreaks.com. Tell them Huckleberry the sent you. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Springfield. infotainment so um this is one of the this is the first of two episodes in a row that we're going to be covering something that was in syndication when we were in uh when we were in elementary or junior high or high school or wherever and uh um, i'm labeling it infotainment uh, news magazines sports shows music variety shows talk shows the type of stuff that was on television when you got home from school or was on like a non-network station um either during prime time or even late at night that was not a cartoon mm -hmm. you know aside from say i think the only thing i would probably have left off of this is like religious programming because there's tons of syndicated well, we don't watch that, that we don't really watch. <laughs> but you and i you and i both um i'm not sitting down as a teenager to watch the 700 club the hour of power no I know. <laughs> um I did mention at the top of the, the, the very first show that I did for this series that the only religious thing I remember out of New York City that I never really watched but I remember being advertised like was that WPIX used to air Midnight Mass from St. Patrick's Cathedral on um, Christmas Eve. But otherwise, like, I'd stumble upon those shows, like those religious shows just flipping through channels because I was waiting for like wrestling to come on or something like that. I'll tell you what though, I will watch the hell out of like a fully regaled, pompy sort of yeah. <laughs> religious ceremony. So I, I actually do love Midnight Mass when they air it. Um, and actually, the only thing I really like about church is the rituals. <laughs> Not really down for the indoctrination, but yeah. I love me a ritual. Yeah. So, and the other advantage that we have of this is that being being the same age, we watched a lot of the same shows, even though we were both grew up in different areas. But we both grew up in areas surrounding major metropolitan cities which yes. is important because when you grow up in the middle of kind of like nowhere your your choices tend to be limited but if you're in the suburb of a big market mm -hmm. you're gonna get your fair share of different programs and different channels because they're all competing for ratings and then you know uh, so you you were uh i grew up on long island of course outside of new york city and i talked um in a previous episode about the uh, there were three, of course, the three networks, but there were three, um, four if you count the one that we got like through the VCR, which was out on the east coast of the eastern end of Long Island. But there were basically three main syndicated channels in New York: um, WNYW, which is Fox Five, which in DC is also Channel Five, I believe. Yes, it's not. You know, it's it, the does it WTTG? WTTG Fox Five. Fox Five. And then the other two channels in New York were uh, Channel 9, which was out of New Jersey. It's out of Secaucus, New Jersey. It was WWOR, which eventually became the UPN network and is now the My Whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thing. And then WPIX Channel 11, which is kind of the 
like the big one. That was the one like all me and a lot of other people watched, which was uh, became the WB and is now the CW up mm-hmm. there. And and you had similar. Our biggest syndicated channel, which not to spoiler future episodes, but where you could catch. Um, Star Trek The Next Generation, Highlander, Xena Warrior Princess, Hercules, all of that was WDCA 20, mm-hmm. which I think is now the CW. Okay. So, um, and I think we got a lot of the same shows, and we're going to, I'm going to start with, uh, with something we actually, two things we actually have a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, interest in. Um, which are music and sports because we'll save mm-hmm. news and talk shows for the end because I think we're going to get the most out of it. Okay. I think if I'm looking at the list of shows that I just jotted down for like news magazines, we'll probably <laughs> talk quite a bit about like a current affair <laughs> hard copy because it was just crazy, crazy stuff. And the talk shows are like, uh, that's your, you know, that's the meat of this. Um, so. When we were younger, I, I don't think these shows really lasted into the 90s, except for maybe Soul Train. Um, Bandstand was still on when we were little kids, but that was airing on ABC. Yes. Um, but then there were shows that were syndicated like Dance Fever, Solid Gold. And my personal favorite, Dance Party USA on the USA Network, <laughs> which was amazing. And I was obsessed with pretty much throughout middle school. And so you guys need to know, I was a latchkey kid starting at the age of 10. My parents worked in DC proper, so we, we moved out to back then, the middle of nowhere, Stafford County, Virginia. Um, and so their commute was just long. I mean, so, mm-hmm. and then when traffic got terrible and is still terrible now, um, you know, I'd be home for like a good two, three hours by myself. And so... If I remember correctly, Dance Party USA came on around like three or like three or four. And it was just, and truly it was like bandstand. Like it was just a bunch of teenagers dancing around, Mm -hmm. but they all had cool clothes and some had different personalities. Like there was a girl called Princess and she always dressed like Prince. I'm sure she's in mourning still. But, um, and then there were these two twins, um, I can't remember if the dudes were twins or if the girls were twins, but it was like, there was always this like chemistry between these two guys and these two girls. And so you'd watch it to see like if they were dancing together. It was so dumb. I mean, but I mean, when you are 10, 11, 12, you're like, oh my God, glamorous teenagers. And then of course, Club MTV was the jam and then later the grind. But like, I love, I love me a dance show. Not now, but back then. Well, that's (laughs) like, I watched such such little bandstand when it was on because we we were not of the American bandstand generation. We're yeah, that's your parents. Ba- your dad used to be on it. My dad had been on bandstand back in the fifties when it was still out of Philadelphia because he and his cousin, his co- my his cousin Marilyn lived in Pennsylvania. So yeah, he used to go there and then they would go into Philly and go to bandstand tapings and he was on the show. Um, and then they would they eventually moved the show out to like. Burbank or wherever they were filming oh, yeah, for, it, for you know through the seventies and eighties, and I think by that time we were old enough to really understand what American Bandstand was. It was pretty much done. It was I think the show mm-hmm. was canceled in like eighty seven or eighty eight. So that was so the last like really huge moment for Bandstand was probably Madonna. Yeah. I don't know if Prince was ever on bandstand. He probably was, but that that he that, I think he was because mm-hmm. he was doing his typical Prince thing of like 
everybody here is trash and I'm amazing. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't yeah. wrong, but <laughs> yeah. But all these like when they when they would play um, when they would they would do retro shows. VH1 used to be great for this, the retro show, and they would do a retrospective about Bandstand, and mm-hmm. it was always the like the the latest clip they would always show would be the one like where Madonna said she was going to take over the world or something yeah, like yeah. that. Then that was they about, did love to run that clip. Yeah, that was like from about 83. That was like holiday era Madonna. But I feel like, just like as an English major, oh God, I'm going to get real dorky yeah. for a minute, but just like as an English major, it's really helpful to have read a lot of stuff because it gives you so much context for pop culture mm-hmm. and you can get all the references. Like you can get a Shakespeare reference, you can get a whatever reference. And so... I think I was especially prepared because I love dance shows to love movies like Girls Just Want to Have Fun. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, please watch it. It was one of my favorite movies my roommate and I would pass out to when we come home from the bars in college. And then um, also, I think you look at a lot of videos in the 90s or like a number or like some select iconic videos in the 90s and they're referencing that so they're you know you have nirvana's video where they're pretending to be like on ed sullivan yeah and bloom and you know even i mean i know buddy holly is like pretending to be in happy days but still there's like those retro like you know these very sort of at the time alternative rockers kind of putting on that veneer of look at this wholesome isn't it hilarious that they're in this wholesome yeah. uh, situation but you wouldn't have that if you didn't know about American Bandstand yeah. and stuff like that and and they used to there was a while in the it was the either the very very late 80s or early 90s where like Ed Sullivan was rerun on either PBS or syndication just for a while and I remember catching one of the Beatles episodes and it was they didn't show the show in its entirety it was like kind of caught up to like an hour or so or whatever i think this is something i've i've said already about syndication and about a lot of the shows especially when it came to sitcoms was that you really got this idea of like what used to be popular or Mm -hmm. used to be cool because all like the sitcoms that were on were stuff that had been popular a few years ago or they were like really old like brady bunch and gilligan's island and that sort of stuff and like you know and you don't you don't see as much of that now um, except on my TV, where yeah, you can catch some quality Wonder Woman reruns. Yeah, yeah, and um, but it does kind of blow my mind a little bit because yeah. I think you're right in that I think our generation, especially, is very much an in-between generation because a lot of the entertainment that we consumed and a lot of references that we had were very much grounded in like the 50s, 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. World War II hadn't been that long ago. I mean, you know, we were born in 77, so it hadn't been that long since. And then you had he, Baby Boomer still had a massive in, influence on pop culture and yeah. what was you know deemed popular. But then we were also probably the first generation to have an email account. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were using Prodigy. You know, we had <laughs> AOL dial-up yeah. accounts. So there's this kind of in between where you're future facing. You know, grunge became a thing when we you know rap blew up and got huge. Yeah. I always feel privileged that we were kind of in that moment where you're looking backward, but you also can see what the future might look like. Because I think you, didn't you say one of your students the other day didn't have any idea what something, some sort of pop culture thing. And I was like, how can they not know that? But then I'm like, I guess it's so long ago. I don't remember what it was, but it was something about maybe World War II. Anyway, I think that, I think that was a really interesting time because our, there, there are so much old fashioned type of content because I remember and I'm getting this way up you're gonna have to edit the crap out of this but 
you know, like you were saying, you could see um, some syndicated uh, episodes of, you know, Ed Sullivan, or you could see like Gilligan's Island or mm-hmm. Brady Bunch, or whatever. Well, if you, ha- I know you didn't have cable, but if you had cable, you had Nick at Night, which was all retro. You know, like My yeah. Three Sons and the Donna Reed Show, Patty Duke, um, My Mother the Car, like Car 54, Where Are You, yeah, Dobie Gillis, Dennis the Ma- like uh, and Laughing. And yeah. so I think that's probably why I'm sincerely obsessed with all things like 60s because I think <laughs> I just, you know, I'd watch because I've been an insomniac my entire life. And so when, you know, when it was summertime and I didn't have a bedtime, I would legitimately stay up all night watching Nick at Night because it ran until like four in the morning. Yeah, and I and and just to kind of add a little tangent, when I would go visit my friend Chris down in Florida in the summer um, for a week or two, every couple of summers he had cable, and I didn't. We would watch old SCTV and Saturday yes. Live, you know, and that that sort of stuff. And that that's a whole other conversation. And that would air on like they started running yeah. um, stuff on VH1. Yeah. And what I find interesting too is this is just kind of and, and then I'll, I'll bring it back is how uh, the stuff that our parents' generation had that they were that was really popular for them to a certain extent was just a lot of it was essentially just simply rerun. It was, you know, I mean, granted, there were shows like The New Monsters and The Gid- New Gidget and The New Leave It to Beaver and that stuff. And those were like... Terrible. T- yeah, they were bad. <laughs> they were like really bad. And it was like, it was basic, but it was, it was like this whole thing with the except The New Monsters was basically like a new cast doing Monsters bits. And the all new Leave It to Beaver was like the beeve as an adult. And it was just, I don't think I ever really watched it. And there was that Brady Bunch drama. And it was like this attempt to kind of continue <gasps> the story of the Bradys. That's right. But, but for the most part, though... A lot of the stuff would just simply rerun, like Happy Days is rerun like crazy. They used to rerun Lassie and um, Leave It to Beaver and uh, Andy Island Griffith. And you couldn't Brady Bunch and Andy Griffith. Yeah. On syndicated television, now a lot of the stuff that we loved when we were kids, the sitcoms, for instance, are run at Nick at Night, and it's kind of like weird to me because yeah, when they started running the Fresh Prince of Bel Air yeah. on Nick at Night, I well, other than turning forty, I realized yeah, I am just old. You start feeling like really, really old. But at the same time, like with the cartoons and stuff, they would run old cartoons sometimes, the Flintstones, the Jetsons and stuff. But now it's like, instead of just simply taking a network like Cartoon Network or, or whatever and just rerunning some of the old stuff. I really wish we had Boomerang. Yeah, Boomerang. They're also like, I don't think our parents' generation had as much repurposing and rebooting as ours does. But music variety shows are another one where like, I, I, I haven't seen a lot of them on TV at all uh, in in recent years what kinds of shows i'm sorry like music variety shows like like yeah. solid gold like your dance party you say dance fever and solid gold and dance fever i think came out of the disco craze yeah i know dance fever did yes because i think danny terrio was one of the choreographers for saturday night fever yes. i know he had some connection to it and i well and you have to remember too with soul train it was one of the only variety shows that focused almost exclusively on black artists. That's true. And so, you know, at the time it was revolutionary because it was black artists performing their music and the audience was mostly black and it was just, it it was a cultural touchstone.
Soul Train, the hippest trip in America. 60 non-stop minutes across the tracks of your mind into the exciting world of soul with guest stars, The Emotions. Maze featuring Frankie Beverly and the Soul Train Dancer. And now, here is your host, Don Cornelius. Hey there, and welcome aboard. You're right on time for another sweet ride on the Soul Train. Yeah, and another show um, that really did focus on, I think that was a, now granted, me being as white as I am, I, I'm talking out of school, I'm talking out of context here. I want to say that, and I, but I don't know if the show was syndicated or if it was an NBC show, it's Showtime at the Apollo. Which it is syndicated. It is a, because it was it a syndicated you, show. Okay. It used to air. It's aired on a couple of different networks up okay. in um, DC. Okay, so that was a show that um, that lasted for. I don't think it's on anymore. Oh, I loved it for though. Decades, and we used to watch it every once in a while. It'd come out at like twelve thirty a.m. It would be on. It would be on um, after Saturday Night Live yeah. sometimes, and it, that's another one where you're talking about like. You know, uh, for for a white kid living in the suburbs, a window into artists who were black because we saw old episodes that they would run, or special stuff that they would run, where like Public Enemy was on and things like that. And these are these were people who I never really got to see. You know, not having MTV or anything. Well, and the one clip that MTV always loved to play was when this like hokey group got on, and everyone was like, "Boo, you suck!" And it turned out to be Digital Underground, and they like mm. ripped off their disguises <laughs> and started singing the Humpty Dance. I saw that episode, so I remember being like, "Oh, damn, Digital Underground!" And so um, it was always fun when like you know, every once in a while, you would get like a white girl who could blow or like a white guy singing really soulfully and everybody's like you could just kind of tell they're like do we boo do we not boo? <laughs> oh my god i'm so confused <laughs> and then like and then like dance fever and solid gold i remember all i remember of dance fever was it was shot in was supposed to kind of look like the discotheque that was from Saturday Night Fever, the um, 2001 Space Odyssey discotheque. Did it have a light-up floor? I think it did, and I think it had, like, those kind of track Christmas lights around it and stuff. That sounds and, classy as fuck. Yeah, and I just, but I remember, but I don't remember very much of it. I think, it, again, I think, it, I don't really know if I ever went out of my way to watch it as a little kid. It might have been one of those shows that was on before, like, a rerun of Chips or something, right? So it was, you know. Yeah. When I was a real, and I know we probably got to move on. Because we could probably talk about musical type yeah, no, There's, there's, we there's two other about. shows I want to talk about really quickly okay. in the musical but thing. There's a very kind of niche one that I bet nobody remembers but me. But um, I always knew it was a Saturday when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. because, And I'm pretty sure it was syndicated. Or maybe it wasn't. My parents loved to watch this lip sync show Put called... On Put on the hits! That yes. was one of the shows I wanted to talk about. Yes! I Put on the hits! I love that show! Radio and shake down every hit. Just mouth the words and move it to the tune that fits. Put, 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 putting on the hits. I'll pick, pick your song and live along. Put, 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 putting on the hits. It's putting on the hits, the show that makes you the star you always wanted to be. With our host, Alan Fawcett, and our celebrity judges, Don Felder, Marilyn McCoo, and Will Schreiner. To the mirror, to your favorite song. You don't have to be no singer. Let your lips move along. Put, 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 put on the hits. 
it this was is why so we're married. Crazy. Nobody else knows what yes, that show is. I actually watched that show pretty regularly. Oh my god, when I was a little kid, like that's how I knew it was about to go down because they'd watch Putting on the Hits and then we'd watch like Facts of Life. Mm. Go, or maybe that was a Friday. No, I think it was Saturday. A it gold, was a Saturday. Golden shit, Girls yeah. and everything. And then my dad would inevitably turn on National Geographic and my mom would bitch at him about animals eating each other, <laughs> which continues to this day. Putting on the, and it was it was like the mid '80s because I remember I remember Lionel Richie and like um, it was basically stuff that was um, it was lip sync battle before lip sync battle was oh, yeah, yeah. even a thing and and I, yeah that was a god that show was just. <laughs> cheesy as fuck, but it was so. And every once in a while, you'd watch, my parents would watch the Gong Show. Yeah, the new the 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 new one, the new not one. the one with what the, the crazy dude. Yeah, the new one I remember aired. Um, it was in like the late eighties. It was the late eighties, and I think it was on where I was. I think it was on almost every night. Yeah, and that's where I remember. That. It was only on on the weekends. Yeah, I think in Woodbridge when I was yeah. when we were living in Woodbridge. So, did you watch any Star Search? Yeah, I watched Star Search. Yeah, because that was a... Uh, you want to talk about stuff that, like, where American Idol got its thing from, where it was these... My dad loves Star Search. I well, he loves most crappy television. Yeah, um, I remember for a while watching... Because it, it, there was, like, this block of stuff, and it was either Star Search or Soul Train was, like, the last show before they got to a baseball game or whatever the hell was mm-hmm. on for the rest of the afternoon, yeah. a movie or something. And Star Search would be on for about an hour... And you'd have, I re- vividly remember a lot of the comics because I was, by that point, I was feeling like, you know, I liked stand-up comedy. Now, I don't remember Ray Romano being on there, although I've seen the clips. I remember... Paula Poundstone. Paula Poundstone. Her. And I remember the guy who beat out Ray Romano who had this weird name, like, Geechee Guy or something. Ew. Yeah, it was It was just this one of the things, it was just the name I remember. Um, but then I remember some of the singer, the singers... Which were always sort of like torch songs, singing Broadway type of... Well, I remember Leanne Rimes, her whole thing was she was on Star Search. And that's how she got discovered, I think. Mm. Or I might be conflating it, but I do remember her being on Star Search. Mm. Do you remember the supermodel video? Yeah, that was my favorite part. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a fashionista. I love the the model part was my favorite. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they, they, were, they would have those women competing for a supermodel sort of thing, almost Miss America like. Yeah, they always had to do like an evening gown video yeah. or like a swimsuit video and like a day dress. But in the eighties, it was all basically formal. Yeah, you could so, go on Dynasty in any of those outfits. Yeah, they play that clip, and then of course you'd have like three or four judges, and the, the bit was Ed McMahon was hosting it, and he's like, you know, they would tell you that somebody gave you three and three quarter stars, and this person gave you four stars. Yeah. And, I wanted to interpret that because it was probably the thing, at least, I, that out of all of these, we probably watched yeah, cause the least. Well, and also, you didn't have, again, you didn't have cable, so you didn't watch all the MTV stuff like Yo! MTV Raps and yeah. all of that. And by the time uh, we were 10 or 11 and I, I was starting to, the cartoons were starting to wane, the, the music videos on a regular channel were kind of gone. Friday Night Videos, I don't think was on yeah. very much anymore. Uh, there was a video, there was a Saturday Morning Videos for a little while that was basically a recycled thing of that. I wrote a blog post last year about a video countdown show from the very early 80s called Hot that was basically like, dial. it was almost like the old Dial MTV show where they did a countdown. Mm-hmm. 
of clips from the, 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 the biggest things of the time. But yeah, MTV had become, because by the time you hit about the late 80s, MTV was part of the basic cable package. Yeah. There was no need. Nobody was watching videos on anything other but MTV and VH1. Yeah. Um, until like BET came along. But then, you know, and then things kind of, and then MTV stopped playing videos. But that's yeah, a whole other digression, thing. yes. Sports, though, because if, if, it's, if a station was going to make a decent amount of ratings in syndication, it was going to have something to do with sports, sports. Because sports is like weekend, it's the easiest programming on the weekend. Even now, if we were to turn on television in the middle of the day tomorrow, this is Saturday night, in the middle of the day on Sunday, we would inevitably come out, come across a golf yes. tournament, probably a baseball game on some channel somewhere, maybe, I don't know if there's some an NBA playoff game on tomorrow night or a hockey game on tomorrow night. And in the summer, where, where I was, mm-hmm. you had one channel playing the Mets and one channel playing the Yankees, and sometimes in the same day, mm-hmm. because you could have, you know, because they didn't share a stadium, so you could have that. Um, and then, of course, there's the NFL, mm-hmm. which during the fall, um, you know, you have all over the place. But then there were the others. We want to talk about the sports programs that were kind of the sports entertainment programs. So, um, and I think we would have to start... I, I, I want to get to those in a minute, but I want to talk about the the shows that were about sports. And there were two that there was one odd one called Rogan's Heroes, which I watched part of an episode of, which is basically Fred Rogan, who is kind of that Len Berman, um, George Michael type of sportscaster who loves to do the bloopers clips. So it was basically yeah. a half hour bloopers show. Isn't that? And I think that's what TBS used to run when like a Braves game was on a rain mm-hmm. delay. They'd run like a blooper yeah. show. Yeah, that or um, and the other show that I used to watch for a while, almost religiously, my friends and I used to watch was This Week in Baseball. This Week in Baseball, yeah. And run um, that too. I think that's still on in some regard. And they used to play that during um, rain delays as well. Yeah. But something that the two things I wanted to talk about about you in the in the DC area. One is that. They had these shows for the Giants, and I think the Mets and Yankees on like sports channels, so the cable channels that I didn't get. But there, there's a show, and it still airs, I believe, called Redskins Report. Yeah, <laughs> yep. And this was the weirdest thing for me when we first started. I think we were dating at the mm-hmm. time, and, and I would be down to hang out with you because it airs, I think, in DC on a Saturday night. It airs, yeah. It airs at like seven thirty on yeah. a Saturday. So if I knew that it was a Saturday because putting on the hits was on as a little kid, mm-hmm. basically from middle school through college, I would be. It would be Redskins Report, and then it would be Star Trek: The Next Generation. So the Redskins Report. I think it ran on uh, Channel 7, which was WJLA. That was the ABC station. And then they'd flip over to Star mm-hmm. Trek. TNG. Is is that the one with Riggins and Sonny Jurgensen? And was it Kornheiser and Wilbon when we were in college? Or I, I think, yeah. I, I think it would alternate. Sometimes it'd be one or the other. Uh-huh. Maybe sometimes both. I just, the thing I can always remember is my mom, without fail, when she wasn't complaining about animals eating each other, she was complaining about Sonny, how gross Sonny Jurgensen was because it always looked like his false teeth were about to fall out. <laughs> <laughs> they were slightly stained. Did he die? I don't know. Um, and Riggins had like the. This perm. He was like the grizzled old yeah. whatever. And it was hosted for years by a man who in the DC market was kind of a legend, um, which was George Michael. George Michael. Now, this is not the singer. 
No. And this was something. But that would be amazing. But, but when I would flip, I would, I was a regular TV guide reader. Like we got TV guide. I would read TV guide. I would look through what was on TV. And there was this show that was, would run like late as hell, either Sunday nights or maybe it was once a week. might've been nightly after everything else. We're talking like one in the morning. I would mm-hmm. be in bed called the George Michael sports machine. And I never knew what it was until I started going out with you and we would, and I saw yeah. George Michael. So what, what was the George Michael sports machine? Tonight, through the use of the sports machine, Bill Parcells and the Jets are in first place. The Seahawks and Broncos stage another thriller in Mile High America. Tonight, it'll be the wild, the wacky, the bizarre. It's the plays of the month of October. I'm George Michael, Evander Holyfield, trying to avenge one of his biggest defeats. Tonight on The Sports Machine. Well, in the last so the George Michael Sports Machine was a, a syndicated program, and it was only half an hour, and it was basically just George Michael telling you about what happened in sports that week. Um, and of course, a lot of times there was some Washington bias, so you'd hear a lot about the Redskins, you'd hear about the Capitals, um, or whatever. But for me, I remember it was always exciting because I was an Atlanta Braves fan. And, um, you know, that was before social media. So if I wanted to look at my boo, David Justice, I either had to watch the games or I'd look for highlights like on sports shows like SportsCenter or George Michael Sports Machine mm-hmm. or whatever. And so uh, it would be exciting if like he, the clip of him was on there or like, you know, I, I also grew up as a Washington fan. But yeah, I think it was a big deal because what was interesting and so... Um, I don't think he had his own show, but the other big sportscaster in the D.C. area, well, there were a couple, but the other big sportscaster in D.C. was Glenn Brenner, mm-hmm. who was on the CBS channel, WUSA Channel 9, I can't believe I still remember all these, but Glenn Brenner was just that, just this amazing sportscaster who um, was funny, but also really knowledgeable, and he died of cancer when I was in middle school, I don't exactly remember when, but there's like a memorial race in his name. And so like it was Glenn Brenner. George Michael was at the NBC affiliate in DC. And then there was a big old deal when Warner Wolf came back to CBS. Yeah, because Warner Wolf was, I was just about to say, we had Len Berman on the NBC affiliate who would pop into the Today Show network every once in a while. So you might know who he was. But Warner Wolf was on a, on the CBS station up in New York, and he had that um, famous saying, "Let's saying, go Let's to go the videotape." Tape. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, these are you know local local people, but yeah, the, from what I understand, the Sports Machine was almost like a weekly edition of Sports Center before Sports Center became. Yeah. I mean, Sports Center had been there from the beginning at ESPN, but, before but a lot Sports of people Sport didn't have cable. Yeah, but before, before it became like. Sports Center. When yeah. it was in the nineties when Sports Center really hit its stride. Well, and if you read that whole history of ESPN, I mean yeah. in like the late eighties, early nineties, it's it's kind of just cobbled together with like duct tape and a prayer. Yeah. You know, you don't really start to hear about like Chris Berman until we hit high school. Chris For better or worse, <laughs> that's all, you know, that's all I'll say. Or, you know, Keith Olbermann or whoever. Dan Patrick and Dan Patrick. Craig Kilborn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Craig Kilborn. Oh my god, yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so it was like, and it was just like a weekly like a little weekly sports magazine. I was really into sports, um, in high school and well, still to some mm-hmm. extent. But yeah, so it was like a way to kinda of get your fix of especially local sports. Now the the two things that I always more than all of that, because a lot of that is local news and a lot of it's local, you know, it's, it's, and like I said, 
um, syndicated channels in our areas were often also would air some of the local sports teams games, especially baseball, because there's so many baseball games in the mm-hmm. season. It was it's such a, I mean, I don't know about. So you only have the Orioles up there, so I don't know how many Orioles games you would get, but like where I was, oh, well, we got them all the time because we also time. got yeah. Baltimore stations. Yeah, because but the um, like because like New York I, above all, I don't uh, people probably argue with me about this, but above all, historically New York's a baseball town, and you have the Mets and the Yankees, and like you were in the eighties, it was glued to the TV watching the Mets, and you know, <laughs> but then syndication for me and sports, aside from that, is always two things. Wrestling, yeah, and American Gladiators, oh, which is essentially oh, yeah. wrestling. My dad loves American I Gladiators. I fucking love American Gladiators. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, from Gladiator Arena in Los Angeles, California, here are your American Gladiators. Ice, ice, baby. And it, when, when we watch American Ninja Warrior, which yes. is totally not American Gladiators, but I always get the American Gladiators feel from it, probably yes. because of Matt Eisman. And, uh, he definitely uh, brings our, an uh, 80s uh, yeah. announcer flair. Yeah, and, but and American, American Gladiators, um, for anybody who's not familiar with the show, was people competing in tests, these crazy games of strength and sparring and obstacle courses were they and they were actually like you had to be pretty athletic kind of like american ninja warrior well you have to be insanely athletic for yeah but like these people were like you know bodybuilders and trainers and they 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 would always they would have them do tests of strength and skill against um like professional bodybuilders professional bodybuilders and athletes called that they called the american gladiators they had like names like nitro nitro yes Whatever, and I remember there were um, there were ones where they had to like essentially like elaborate dodgeball type of games. There was, of course, the most famous one was the joust. That was my favorite. Where they were, they like knock them off, knock them off the 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 pedestal. pedestal. And then, of course, there was a final obstacle course at the end called the Eliminator, Mm -hmm. and that was the best part because it was basically almost adult double dare. Yes. Um, because, you know, you were running through and, and when they show the stuff on American Ninja Warrior or we would watch Wipeout for the longest time. I was just time. about to say, Wipeout was the best. It was yeah. like, it was like, that was truly probably the closest that was adult to adult double dare. double dare that you could get. And like, and speaking yeah. of sports, you had the two Johns, you had John uh, Henson, Henson and John uh, Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. You had the two Johns. So you had yeah. a sportscaster and you had a comedian. Yeah. And, um, God, I miss Wipeout. That's the yeah. best. So American Ninja Warrior was always on for me after wrestling. And wrestling... You mean American Gladiators? Yeah, sorry. American <laughs> Gladiators. Yeah. We, we were watching a Ninja Warrior special last night, and I forgot how much I love just watching that show. You got it on the it's brain. It's just so much fun to watch. But yeah, American Gladiators was just... And it was... Um, they It was just... They were always wearing like wrestling leotard, leotards. That was the... It was the very piece. glow meets... Yes. Uh, WWF at the yeah, time. Yeah, it was yeah. very much of that thing. And I think in the late 
funny enough, I think in the early 2000s, like one of the hosts of the show was Ryan Seacrest. Shut but, up. Like in the late 90s, really? early 2000s, Ryan Se- for like a season or so, Ryan Seacrest was How one of the hosts. How old the show. is Ryan Seacrest? I think Ryan Seacrest is. Is he our age? We're going to see how old Ryan Seacrest actually oh is. He's also a total creep, but that's Maybe all I'll just ask point. Siri. Siri, how old is Ryan Seacrest? Ryan Seacrest is 43. Thank you. No, he was on the Gladiators 2000, which was from 94 to 96, which would be the spinoff of the television show American Gladiators as a kid's version of Gladiators because kids were watching Gladiators. Yeah. I, no, I mean, my dad watched American Gladiators, but I mean, kids were watching Gladiators. I was going to say, I think that was probably the majority, majority of yeah. their audience. God, I'm slurring my words now. I mean, I, I mean, other than my father, I don't know any respectable adult who'd be like, let me sit down and watch this. Although I will always... My father. Well, they're very <laughs> similar, but like, I did all, I did appreciate, every time I think of American Gladiators now, I think of um, Luann's boyfriend on The Simpsons when he takes her <laughs> to on a date in that big hamster wheel. The big hamster wheel. God, I missed you, Lulu. <laughs> Chase, it's only been three hours. Who's Chase? Oh, that's Mom's new boyfriend. Hey, I know you from American Gladiators. You're Pyro. <laughs> only on weekends. During the week, I'm just your average workaday stuntman. Really? Go ahead. Break a chair on me. <laughs> wow, thanks. Okay, boys, I gotta go. Come on, Lulu. Let's roll. But yeah, so the wrestling, you had the WWF, and I'm going to call it a WWF because that's well, what Well, we know you're not talking about the World yeah. Wildlife Fund. And there was Glow, and Glow was on PIX, and... Um, and if you haven't watched Glow on Netflix, listeners, uh, watch please Glow do. Yeah. It's so good. I didn't watch a lot of Glow, but there were two shows on TV on the weekends for the WWF. There were Superstars of Wrestling, and there was WWF Wrestling Challenge. In my area, they both aired on the Fox affiliate, and one of them aired, Superstars Wrestling aired on Saturdays, and Wrestling Challenge aired on Sundays, and they aired around like noon or so. And then sometimes NBC would run a show, and they stay, they stopped running it after, they didn't really run it around the WrestleMania 6-7, like by then it was tapering off, but they used to run a wrestling show every once in a while called Saturday Night's Main Event, where it was, it was a primetime wrestling, and that's where sometimes like big matches would take place um but superstars wrestling was like and wrestling challenge was where you had like you know how like the wrestling would go on tour yeah yeah and they, so they were they would choose to show it at one of those arenas and in addition to the matches so all the undercard matches and then like a main event match <laughs> none of which had any actual bearing on any of the belts that were there i think the only time it actually happened was that Following the Ultimate Warrior beating Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six, they actually had an Intercontinental Belt tournament on the prime time on the syndicated daytime show. I think it was Superstars of Wrestling because the Warrior had both belts and he had to give up the Intercontinental title because he couldn't hold the hold both. But it was like where you had like these all the little variety kind of interview segments. Like um, there was a. There was a bit they used to have Roddy Piper interview people, and it was called Piper's Pit. <laughs> and they had this guy who dressed up like a televangelist 
you know, completely white suit with a red shirt, and he had a, he, I think, like, grayish hair with, a, I think he had a ponytail, but he always had, like, his face always looked, like, incredibly red. It was, his name was Brother Love, Ew. and they had the Brother Love show. Um, there was uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, uh-huh. I think, had something, uh, did he, I don't know if he had a show or not. There were a few of them. And then, of course, you had, like, um, and now the announcers like Gorilla Monsoon and Mean Gene Okerlund and Bobby the Brain Heenan, and like all these characters. And I think from about the time I was in about the fifth grade until I was about the seventh grade, my friends and I would watch it religiously to the point where we went to see the WWF at the Nassau Coliseum maybe twice, at least once. I don't remember who was the main event of the one, but I do remember being really pumped up for watching the tag team match featuring the tag team called the rockers which was Shawn michaels and marty Jannetty. did that, they look like nelson no they looked they honestly looked like um they were like cast offs from like a van halen audition oh, or something right. yeah they, they, they seriously did it was just like you know what if hair metal was a was a wrestling bit um oh, okay yeah so and but you know that that was i remember that was pretty cool to watch but i have friends right now who are still really into wrestling it was just something it was a, it was honestly it was a phase for me and i Including watched Iron madison the third yes god i love when he brings this stuff up the other thing the other thing with wrestling too and this is this and this could be a whole other conversation with somebody else was that um my local video store had you could go to the sports section of the local video yeah, store and rent wrestlemania that. and we used to rent wrestlemania um, three, four, and five all the time. Because three was the Andre the Giant Hulk Hogan match. Four was like a double tape because it had like the tournament for the belt that had like. And then five was Hogan and Randy Machuman and Savage. And then we would rent six when it came out because that was the Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Seven was the last one I watched, and my friend got pay per view. And we watched it on pay-per-view. That oh was Hogan versus Slaughter. Pay-per-view was such a racket. Like, when my cousin, my younger cousins, my, the oldest of the two is five years younger than me, and the other one is nine years younger than me. They were really into wrestling, but that was around the time of, like, when The Rock was, like, an infant. Like, I mean, he was, like, a yeah, baby I, rock. And, like, you know, so that, and they would always get the pay-per-view stuff. But, I, you know, I can't really talk to a lot of, I did not really watch it. But the two mm-hmm. things when I think of wrestling or whatever is um, when we used to watch Tough Enough on MTV. That like, was a fun show And, to watch. like, the true life, like, I'm a, re- where it was, it followed around, well, tragically, China and Triple H when they were a, a fighting mm-hmm. duo. So, like, I thought that was, I thought it was really interesting to look at, like, behind the scenes of their lives. And tough enough, I always enjoy, like, a physical competition show where people get yelled at. That's my jam. And so, it's those two things and, like, snap into a Slim Jim. That's the only thing I really know about wrestling. I don't know a whole lot. Yeah, we watched the whole, like, we were there for the whole arc of randy savage going from being the macho man to the macho king and breaking up with elizabeth and then going with sensational sherry and then at the at wrestlemania 7 he fights the ultimate warrior and loses it was a retirement match but at the end like ditches sherry for elizabeth and he proposes to her it's this all this crazy melodrama and there's this scene in the first season episode of glow where, and I don't remember the actress's or the character's name, she's the Allison Bree's best friend of the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, she's, ex-best friend. Yeah, but, ex-best friend. Yeah. And she she becomes like Lady Liberty yeah, or she, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But the, she can't, like, she, she doesn't know how to commit. She's basically a washed-up soap opera actress. Yes. She doesn't know what she's doing in this thing. And they go to see 
men's pro wrestling one night and in the middle of it like somebody was explaining to her like the plot mm-hmm. line and she's watching this and in the middle of it it dawns on her and she just starts screaming it's a soap opera and yes. like and and it's just when i think about the storylines that oh, yeah. run through it when I never really got heavily into soaps. I watched Days for that summer where Marlena was possessed because it was so awesome. Well, you couldn't wouldn't. watch it. You could not watch it. And then, like, when we would go, when I would be your parents and your mom was watching the soaps in the evening, oh, yeah. I could follow along with yeah. that stuff and, and then, like, not watch all of my children for two years and come back and, and like, still there. nothing hasn't happened. Nothing's happened. But, but it, that was also a great foundational thing, much like English, uh, lit, and, um, uh, music variety shows mm-hmm. is that like today we were watching an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine yes. and the actor that looked familiar had been on One Life to Live. Mm-hmm. So it you know you just walk around like like Josh Dumel will always be you know Leo to me from all my children. Well, um, Kelly Ripa was Haley. Was, Sarah, was she yeah, Haley and uh, Marcus Wells was Mateo. Yeah. They met yeah. that they met on right. soap and got married. Um, and then. Um, and of course, Sarah Michelle Geller will never be Buffy to me. She will always be Kendall. Sarah Michelle Geller to me was Sydney on Swan's Swan's Crossing. Crossing. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, like, I mean, I again, we could get in the soap operas, we could get in the like uh, daytime TV or whatever. But like, Nickelodeon used to air fifteen. Was that Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds, baby Ryan Reynolds, with a heavily Canadian accent, accent, mm-hmm. and accident. Maybe I don't know, but like accent for sure. Yeah, my, my Canadian television was Degrassi, so that was a... I never watched a lick of Degrassi. <laughs> I don't need to see Drake. I don't need to see any of that. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was just... It was just something that that was like... Like I said, it was kind of a phase, but it was just... If you think about like what people watched when they weren't watching cartoons and they were our age, wrestling was a big one. Now, these next two, next two things we're probably going to get a little bit more into... Because these were the things that were not geared at us. Sports definitely was. It was yeah. geared at people our age. It was geared toward everybody. Yeah, it was geared toward everybody. Like wrestling and stuff like that, your your core audience was your your old, slightly older kids. They didn't have the word tween back then, but when we were tween middle school, yeah, junior yeah. high school, early 11, high 12. school. Um, you know... Uh, yeah, sports was kind of a catch-all. Music and variety shows were they were they were always aiming for teenagers, even if they missed the mark completely. Yeah, you know, even Nickelodeon had one called Roundhouse. It was mm-hmm. terrible, but they had one. Yeah, well, didn't USA have like also was that Kids Incorporated that was on? That was on a Disney that Channel. Was on I Disney. Think? That was the one with Stacey. That Stacey Ferguson came. Back, right? <laughs> yes, Fergie. Because and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, Jennifer Love Hewitt. I remember first seeing her on some really shitty Matt Furr Fox sitcom where she was not Jennifer Love Hewitt she was Love Hewitt oh god yeah this was like in the 90s this is around Herman's Head days of the 90s yeah news magazines so you would go you would go from cartoons to Maybe a news break. Maybe a news break there was probably a few sitcom reruns in there oh we gotta talk about entertainment tonight Yes, yeah, so okay, we're talking about the three, <laughs> the three that that in the eighties and nineties that really stuck because there were more than this, and then later on there would be extra access Hollywood and stuff. But that was that was after the era that we're talking about. 
Entertainment Tonight, which really is kind of the granddaddy of the oh, yeah. entertainment news show. I mean, that show's been around since the very early 80s. I want to yes. say like 82. Yep. And it had a, I mean, the theme song is no, iconic. No, 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 no. And the twos tackle stardom on TV. Is Commando a blast for Radon Chong? Does David Carradine march to a different flutist? How does the A-Team get recruits? Entertainment Tonight has a medium-rare treat with everything to go for Friday, October 18th, 1985. If you work at it, our standards are tough, but we know you can do it. I'm Rob Weller. And I'm Mary Hart. It, to yeah. the point where like they would have there were many, many clips of actors singing yeah. that at the end of their credits. And then of course, later on in the eighties and into the nineties, hard copy and a current affair. But oh, let's God. talk about entertainment yeah. tonight first because entertainment tonight has had a weird history where it started as kind of a just a news magazine about entertainment then, but then became basically like crazy gossip like yeah you know well what was interesting is that at the beginning it was very much like a, it was like positive it was like we go into again that weird straddling of like old celebrities and like the young up-and-comers mm -hmm. where we'd be like i will never forget when lucille ball died and you would have thought Entertainment Tonight was related to her. Because, like, every episode for, like, a month was like, and we remember Lucy. I'm like, oh, my God. I don't even think her own family has taken this mm -hmm. long to get over it. So, so like, stuff like that was, like, these older celebrities yeah. and what have you. And it was very much kind of like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, which we could yes. also talk about. But, um, you know, sort of that, like, glamorous, like, we go into someone's home or we're at the mm -hmm. premiere of this. But, yeah, it did start. Well, and I think because they felt like they had to compete with Liquid Access Hollywood came on board and, you yeah, know, it, stuff like that. They felt like they had to get more tabloidy. It was, um, I started to notice the change around the late 90s when Titanic came out and they were doing a story about Leonardo DiCaprio about every night. And it's like, yeah, and it was like, Leo ate, rest, ate yeah. dinner at this restaurant in Rome today. Leo yeah. took a crap here. And it's just yeah. like, it it's really like got cares, really, sorry. really bad. It got very paparazzi. Yeah, it got but, very stocky. But yeah, stocky. In, the, in the 80s, it was, um, there was always like a feature story. And you're right, there were always a lot of stories. Well, it was always about, like Liza Minnelli's drug problem. Or, or this or this old sitcom actor like Dick York was dying or something. Yeah, or, yeah. Or um, Annette Fulicello had... I think she ended up having MS. I think she had MS. You know, and I remember seeing these stories because they were well packaged and everything. Or, and honestly, this was something that, um, you know, it would be later on where I, I got, where I felt that I got a really good education, and believe it or not, in school from family life curriculum about AIDS. Oh, yeah. But Entertainment Tonight was one of the first places I really got the gist of the AIDS crisis because between Rock Hudson and then a couple of actors here and there who were like character actors. The one guy I remember his name was Tom Villard and he he was in a couple of movies. He was in One Crazy Summer. He was he was kind of the one of the two brothers. The other one was Bob Kick Goldthwaite and he was <laughs> he was one of those actors who would pop up in everything once in a while. But he he died of AIDS and, and this was on on him and he this was probably about eighty nine ninety. When he passed away, they were doing a feature story on him because this was still the time when 
the drugs were not as good as they are now. No. So he and he was trying to raise awareness, and it was it was becoming less stigmatized. But it was still stigmatizing. But oh, I still were, think it was highly it stigmatized was, you know, back it, then. You, it was right before the red ribbon started. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, hurt. and I think one of the things that led to that was, you know, Entertainment Tonight was also obsessed with Princess Diana, mm-hmm. and that was a big cause of hers was AIDS awareness. Yes, and so um, I think you know if you're going to cover Princess Di every night of the week. And that's what she's supporting. You've got to start to talk yeah. about it. Yeah, and and so that was that was one of the things I remember. And then I remember a few things. Like I remember seeing one of the earliest Batman trailers on Entertainment Tonight <laughs> because they were showing like we have new footage from the Batman movie, and it was just like I'm sitting down. Yeah. And I remember specifically the shot of the guns of the Batmobile firing the frame around the door and then running through the door or whatever and that's some of the other things. But I do but one of the things about Entertainment Tonight that was they had they had their rotating anchors for a while, but eventually they settled on three personalities that came out of that. The the third the the second tier, the third of which I would say Ranking third is probably Lisa Gibbons because yeah. Lisa Gibbons has had a, yeah. had a really, really. Long She's hung career, in there. Good for her. You know, um, her and Nancy O'Dell. Mm-hmm, Nancy O'Dell, who I think is now on. She was on Axel Hollywood for a while, but the two who were the two anchors for the <laughs> longest time were Mary Hart, mm-hmm. who was the the rumor was that like her legs were insured, insured. for a million dollars or something. And, and she, now everybody insures their legs for a million dollars, but she set the standard. Because, I mean, she had great legs, and they would take... Because news anchors show... The newscasts don't show below the... But they did. They had the glass. Yeah, they had the glass. Yeah. Because you could see her, and she, she added a... She was, she was a very... She was a great hostess. When she wasn't giving people seizures. Yeah. <laughs> that was the story. That ended, up as, that ended up as a part of an episode of Seinfeld, but there was an actual story about a woman whose Mary Hart's voice gave her seizures. But Mary, Mary, Hart, was, Mary Hart was cut from the Jane Pauley... Yeah. Mold of of talk show. She's very very good. Yeah. But she added a little bit of wholesome sex appeal appeal on the Vanna White scale. Yeah. You know, and then you had John Tesh. Oh God, help us all. Who, who plays our radio waves on the on the oh, Light God. FM channel around here? Whenever I work late at night and I accidentally turn on Z ninety five point one. Music and, and advice for your life. Yes, music that? and advice for your life. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'd rather listen to goddamn Delilah than this shit. <laughs> But yes, the John Tesh, unfrozen Kate Manos. But it was like they were, but they were on that show for the longest time, and the two of them would. It was like I watched Entertainment Tonight at seven thirty every night, and luckily up in New York, Jeopardy would be on at seven, and then I'd switch over to, to Entertainment Tonight. And I watched Entertainment Tonight really up until about those Leonardo DiCaprio days, where the show became insufferable. I didn't even I could, watch it that long. You were better than me. I just I, I, and then if I was home, I wouldn't. I was, wasn't watching it. College and then they would rerun it at night. Yeah. Like there was like on weekend nights or something, or oh. they do e, uh, ET Extra or whatever. Yeah, they had, like, they had like entertainment this week for a like while. A, like they a clip it. show that they would put together of all the from all the episodes of that week. TMZ does that now. I I prefer it. Yeah. I'd rather just watch TMZ than TMZ Live. TMZ Harvey Levin is such a jackass. But. Well, I mean, he's a, but you know what? I will always think of TMZ fondly because it came out when Brett was born, mm-hmm. and that was when Britney Spears was like falling down a well. Yeah, of like, was she was spiraling because I was like, she is going to end up dead in the ditch. But um, and we, I'd be holding Brett like watching it, and I, and I remember thinking like, okay, 
we got maybe a year before we can't watch this yeah. <laughs> at seven well, thirty anymore. Yeah, I, 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 Tim's like, if if that like if, if that show didn't kind of reek of asshole, it, I I, lo- I do love the kind of silly vibe the show has. Yeah, you know, just a lot like, of the men on the staff are such dicks. Yeah. But, but it is a great. It was. It really redefined the entertainment news show because Extra and Access Hollywood would come along, and Extra and Access Hollywood were basically Entertainment Tonight clones, and they started leeching Entertainment Tonight's audience. So that's when Entertainment Tonight decided to flip their kind of retool themselves to be more like the other two because yeah. that's what was getting rerun. That was getting ratings like crazy. Well, and you know, if you think about TMZ, it's like that sort of even in the tabloid arena you've got the death of print because mm-hmm. they're an on they were first an online and now a television slash online tabloid yeah and you can pull it up on your phone you know you're not gonna buy it although i do fondly remember like bat boy on the cover of news of the world <laughs> or whatever weekly world yeah whatever it is news of the world i'm thinking about queen anyway um yeah, and like all the different tabloids and mm-hmm. stuff like that, because my grandmother loved them all. She got the National Enquirer, Star, and every once in a while, yeah. what is it, Weekly World News? Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, I mean, you still kind of have tabloidy type stuff. You still have Us Weekly and In Touch Weekly or whatever, but, I mean, TMZ kind of killed it all. Yeah, and Us and In Touch are probably the biggest equivalents been print to something like TMZ. Because for, I mean, for a while, the, the only, like, hot, uh, you had people as a magazine you had if you wanted to endure the new york post you'd have page six mm-hmm. which and like um, but, oh god liz smith so i think was bad. the columnist who was in <gasps> some other things that's like my favorite you know. show on e back in the day was the gossip show because mm. like it was basically like around the horn but for gossip so you'd have like liz smith you'd have this other dude downtown julie brown would host it and like some other gossipy people the other woman who was not like the brown haired version, Cindy Adams or something. Yes, who, I yeah. know who you're talking so, about. So um, the gossip show was fantastic. Well, it, it, the, it's the, the Redskins reports kind of the same way. Oh my it's God. just around the horn, but it's, you know. Basically, it, yeah. but I got to tell you, I don't know if Redskins report exists anymore, but you and I have seen firsthand there's a, a, a coach's corner Redskins, and uh, you have not died inside until you have watched Jay Gruden try to explain why he sucks to Chris Cooley, who is a golden retriever in human form. And <laughs> I, I just, I, I mean, I watch it and I'm like, I don't even know what's happening. This is terrible. Like, I'd rather go, I'd rather watch Sonny Jurgensen's dentures fall out well, than watch like, that show. Because the only, the only thing I can think of that, um, the, the one show that was on after, after every Mets game on Channel Line was called Kiner's Corner and Ralph Kiner. Oh, God, Ralph Kiner. Ralph Kiner was the. Was the <laughs> I grew up, um, and anybody who listens to my show heard me and Paul Spataro talk about the 86 Mets back in 2016. I grew up watching the Mets on WWR9, and they had um, they had three guys in the booth. One, this guy named Z- Steve Zabriskie, who was only people who were Mets fans back then were. But Ralph Kinder did, did the play-by-play, and the color commentary was by Tim McCarver. Before, before Deion Sanders poured that bucket over his head and obviously knocked something loose. He is the Taylor Swift of sports broadcasting. How long are you going to milk that you got champagne poured on your head by a black man and you're going to act like a goddamn white victim the whole time? But back in the 80s, McCarver had his wits about him and wasn't like completely irritating. So Kiner did the... And Kiner was a Hall of Fame 
player too. He was. Yeah, but wasn't from, he drunk all the time? Well, that was the thing. We used to joke that by the sixth inning, that's how many beers Kiner had in. Yeah, I'm blaming. So he had this post show where he would sit down and, and cover what happened in the game, and then he would interview a player. And it was not a very long show. I think it was probably a 15-, 20-minute segment. And, like, you know, and he'd interview the player who was, like, you know, going to do the interview, and he was, like, really, really quick to get out of there so he could do his coke. But, um, wow. It was the 80s. It was the Mets. Um, Best day wakes on So, but that was that was the only time I really ever remember seeing a show like that uh, that wasn't maybe on cable. But, but yeah, so Entertainment Tonight... This was also, in addition to like Siskel and Ebert, which I talked about. <gasps> in the first I love episode, Siskel and Ebert. This is where I found out about a lot of movies. movies and and yeah. is where I found a lot about movies and stuff that if I wasn't like, or TV shows if I wasn't reading about them in like TV Guide. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like. Well, that was another great show that was on E. They used to just run like um, trailers for movies, mm-hmm. like a half hour of like trailers of movies yeah. that were coming up. So, and, and I remember. Um, E Entertainment Tonight was where I first saw the Like a Prayer video. Oh, really? Because they showed it because of the controversy yeah, surrounding Pepsi, it. Yeah. So they showed the end of it during like the end credits or something, and how con- because they talked about how controversial it was, and then they would do. I remember like one of the last segments was always the celebrity birthday segment. Oh yeah, yeah. And stuff like that, like who's got birthdays today and stuff, and then there was like always a trivia question about like one of the celebrity birthdays and. Usually it was movies and TV. Every once in a while they go in some music, but for the most part it was... Well, unless it was a Madonna thing. Yeah. A Madonna or Prince or Michael Jackson or Whitney Houston. Like, you'd basically... Those were the core four. But you wouldn't get, like, Guns N' Roses or Metallica. No, 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 no. It was always pop, top 40. Yeah. Yeah. Unless Axl Rose got arrested. Or Cher. Or, like, when Sonny Bono died. Yeah. They loved doing stuff about the Partridge family. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well... I think we should probably talk about a current affair. I want to, yeah, it's the thing I want to talk about because... Because we're going to fuck it, we'll do it live. Yeah, oh God. No, that was Inside Edition. That was the show. <laughs> oh, that was, no, are you sure I could have sworn it was... Bill O'Reilly, no, it was Inside Edition. That was Inside Edition, edition. okay. Our current affair was Maury Povich. Oh. Yeah, Maury Povich got his start on a current affair. Bill O'Reilly did Inside Edition before Deborah Norville was on the show. Okay. It's a, I, Deborah Norville's on the show was on the show now, but Deborah Norville, I think anybody her 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 infamy was having having the misfortune of getting fired. Of no uh, replacing Jane Pauley. And then eventually getting fired. Oh that's right. Kate Jane Pauley got fired. Yeah, Jane Pauley right. got fired and I, Deborah Norville also a big fan of the fiber arts. But um <laughs> No, is. Riley did inside edition, but these things are the things that I think Entertainment Tonight is partially responsible for as well. This sort of tabloid news magazine. It was the inside show. edition. Damn it. That's tomorrow. And that is it for us today. Okay, I don't know what whatever it is, it's not right on a teleprompter. I don't know what that is. I've never seen that. No, there it is. We are gonna do sting, yeah. Okay, but okay. now I can't read it. There's no there's no words on it. Okay. Honey? There's no words there to play us out. What does that mean, to play us out? It's, it's Sting is going to do, it's a video, Sting video. What is, for credits. I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah, yeah. All right, go, go. In five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it. Okay. In five, four, three. 
That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. And we will leave you with a... I can't do it. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it, and we'll do it live! Right. Fucking thing sucks! In five, four, three... That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. Um, this tabloid news magazine show that I think, I want to say Current Affair was the first of. But also, like, weirdly human interest stuff, too. Yeah. That was, was a weird yeah. chemistry. And, of course, I don't think anybody would remember anything about an episode, but they would always remember that intro with that pyramid. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and of course, the, the commercials, because the yeah. commercials were, were so were insidious. Epic. Monday, Charles and Camilla's naughty phone fantasy, the uncensored world exclusive on the next to current affair. Monday at seven on Fox Five New York. They yeah. were like, somebody's raging cocaine problem. Yeah. Set a house on fire and everybody died. Occurred yeah. affair. It was Bill Clinton's fault somehow. Yeah, yeah it was, and uh, and Maury Povich was the host of a current affair. And don't forget Hard Copy. Hard Copy was the other one, because Hard Copy was on our CBS affiliate up by us. It was on before Entertainment Tonight. And at some point, Connie Chung was, I don't know if she was on A Current Affair, but at some point, I could have sworn she did one of these. I want to say she did. Uh, but, um, so did you, I don't know what you're, because um, by the time, my parents didn't watch this stuff, but they were always busy. They were never watching television at that point. My dad was like ironing clothes or something, and they were watching something else like Jeopardy or something like that. And um, so my sister and I, if we wanted to watch a current affair, usually would, but I think we were watching Entertainment Tonight. Yeah. Because it was on at the same time as Entertainment Tonight, and we would usually catch like the last few minutes of it if we were watching something on Fox, or we'd catch the last few minutes of hard copy. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, hard copy. Hard copy was so crazy. But even before the OJ thing, because the OJ thing was like where hard copy oh, really shot. Kato Kalen. Yeah. All that. Yeah. Yep. But a current affair, and it was it was it was these weird human injuries, but it was also kind of like this underbelly, like it was always seedy. Yeah, it was always seedy. And it was stuff. and inter interestingly enough, most of those shows in DC aired on Fox. Mm-hmm. I think it was produced <laughs> by Fox. That's why. I well, think, or current I think, affair, I think, was produced. But hard by Fox. copy too, and you know, I think it was also during in the day, in the times when like Fox didn't have a lot of original programming. That's true. So That's they true. were running Especially a bunch of syndicated stuff. Yeah, because yeah, for its first few years, Fox's network shows only really aired on like Sunday night. For the first couple of years, it was only they only really aired shows on Sunday night, and then eventually it started. Branching out, and then two and O was on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So it was like nine two and O, and Jump Street started airing. Uh, they would they would started stretching them out, mm -hmm. and then eventually, by the time Fox got football, it really was a full fledged network. But for its for up until about get, the nine two and O, when yeah. they got football, that was huge. Yeah, I mean, up until, until the time nine two and O aired, it really was like a couple of nights a week. Anyway, back to hard copy and the current <laughs> affair. Current affair was it was so titillating. Like the, you're right, the stories were of a variety because now you have news magazine shows on network. You have 48 Hours on CBS, and you have um, Dead White Woman Theater on NBC. Oh uh, God, Dateline is basically <laughs> because To Catch a Predator is not on oh, anymore. Oh God, I missed that though. But, but like, you what had, are you doing here? Yeah, <laughs> but like, but then, but you have basically it's some it, you know, there's 
every news magazine show on network is some white woman getting killed yeah. by her husband. It's and, always a white woman. And it's and it's like at least a current affair, you'd have those stories, but then you would have you'd have Lorena Bobbitt in like in-depth coverage or in-depth coverage of fucking Amy Fisher. Well and Lorena Bobbitt was a big freaking deal because it happened in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And all I can say is good for you, Lorena, get it. Because John Bobbitt sounds like a dick. We had we had Amy and Joey and Mary Jo. And, and two uh, TV movies. Three. Oh. Well, the three. Yeah, the, the one starring... The one... There were three. They all aired on the same weekend. One of them had some nobody actress. But then it was it. Drew and, and Alyssa. Alyssa Milano, yeah. Yes. And, but, like, God, the Amy Fisher thing, it was just... Those were the Menendez's. Oh, God. Those were the stories that were, like front page on those shows because whereas nightly network news and stuff could devote some stuff to time to it those shows hard copy or current affair really could spend a decent amount of time on it because it was such trash and it was like but that's why it's really fascinating to see like american crime story you know mm -hmm. see the people versus oj simpson which is amazing and has my boyfriend Sterling K. Brown in it, but like even the murder of Gianni Versace, and then like there was like an NBC ripoff of American Crime Story that was about the Menendez I think Dick brothers. Wolf produced it. Yeah, and like um, uh, Edie Falco, I think, was in it or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, so it's just interesting to like something that you lived through and you saw like repeated over and over. Now to see it dramatized yeah. is a little like as like original programming. It, it, it's interesting. I mean, I thought the People versus OJ was fantastic. I have, I thought, I thought uh, the Gianni Versace one was was all right. Uh, Darren Chris was amazing. But anyway, but like, it's just interesting again to be like, it has been long enough that it is now an, again a nostalgia fueled retrospective original yeah. content based on shit that we watched ad nauseum because my dad can't turn down a news magazine show. Yeah, well and the thing about a current affair and hard copy, especially a current affair, it was like they were grabbing stuff from places in the country you would never think of watching news from out of like Missouri or something. You know, it would never it would never make your, your local news or anything like that unless it was like some silly human interesting news. It's weird yeah. now because you feel like, I mean, at least with our local news stations now, there's almost always some random national news story that's B-roll. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think any of our stations are Sinclair Media yet for now. So no, we but don't the, have to but listen the, to like, you know. But the Newsplex station, which is owned by the Gray television thing, they do a lot of that where they run the same B-roll over but, yeah. Our NBC affiliate, which I don't know who owns them. I They don't run as much. Yeah. Um, they run, they tend to focus, but you're right that, that all that random B roll of like stuff. And it was like a current affair. It was like that B roll in half an hour, but it was yes, like salacious B roll. Yeah, it salacious like, B roll. It wasn't like a pie eating contest somewhere out in like, you that know, that would be a great band name. Salacious B roll. So, <laughs> and then hard copy more than a current affair. I always kind of took the sex angle. Like there was every once in a while, there's always there was it was like you know yeah it almost always was somebody was having an affair with somebody yeah, else or there was like some something to do with porn or, or mm -hmm. like a I remember I remember back in the late eighties and early nineties when phone sex lines were like this thing and they were always doing stories about phone sex lines and God. things like that I mean how lonely did you have to be. <laughs> 
But sometimes they did. Sometimes, not that they would, they covered them nicely, but sometimes they did look at stories that today would get a fair amount of coverage, especially on social media, that were a little less like tawdry and a little more. They were talking about the age crisis and things like that, or like Waco and things yeah. like that. You would see. I mean, you saw a lot Which of coverage of Waco. Which is also a mini Waco. series now. Yeah, you saw a lot of coverage <laughs> of Waco, or you saw a lot of coverage of stuff like Ruby Ridge and, and stuff on the news. But you'd also see it on hard copy, and and they would sensationalize it like crazy. But it's like because they had the time to focus on it, because they could just do this prepackaged thing. It will again, and I know I'm like a living Simpsons reference, but it will always remind me of the episode where Simpson gets the gummy to Venus. And they do like a hard copy and they splice together all like the sweet, sweet can, like part of the, the, the tape or whatever. Here comes the bouncing ball of justice. Tonight on Rock Bottom, we go undercover at a sex farm for sex hookers. I keep telling you, I just grow sorghum here. Uh-huh. And where are the hookers? Round bay. But first. She was a university honors student who devoted her life to kids. Until the night a grossly overweight pervert named Homer Simpson gave her a crash course in depravity, babysitter, and the beast. Aw, crap. Somebody had to take the babysitter home. Then I noticed she was sitting on her sweet can. I grabbed her sweet can. Oh, just thinking about her can. I just wish I had her sweet, 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 sweet can. So, Mr. Simpson, you admit you grabbed her can. What do you have to say in your defense? Mr. Simpson, your silence will only incriminate you further. No, Mr. Simpson, don't take your anger out on me. Get back, get back! M Mr. Simpson, no! Dramatization may not have happened. All those shows make me think well, of the, Bill O'Reilly saying, fuck it, we'll do it live, and um, Sweet Sweet Cake. The, 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 <laughs> the title of this episode is The Simpsons Reference because it comes from that... What's really, the title? Uh, infotainment. Where oh. There's this spring. Remember Ion Springfield? Yes. Where it's basically bikini shots, and then at the end of the thing, yeah, Homer goes, uh, have it on that CD of all the Simpsons music, and the end of his Homer going, wow, infotainment. So that's oh. where I, I know it's not, Homer probably didn't come up with it. I was going to say, I, I don't think that was but I, I just, came up but with that. But that's where I, that's what I that's associate what that word okay. from. But yeah, so, and, and again, that, the other thing about that was, when you're younger and these shows are on. And now, by the time we got into high school, they were still on, because The Current Affair was still on. In fact, there was a story, um, I never saw it, and, and every once in a while when I think about it, I was, I was doing a, I wanted to write an essay about this in, uh, for the blog, and I couldn't find anything of it, because I don't think, it's hard to find any old episode of A Current Affair. Okay. There's a few random ones, but it's hard to find like a log of like what was on it. But there was this, the, they got some group to come to do a school assembly. One of those traveling, like... Like <laughs> traveling, up people? Yeah, kind of like an up... They were called Love All People. Ew. And it was it was one of those really, like, who vetted this type of, like, oh, performances geez. where it was, like, clearly, like, you know... Like, there's, like, a thinly veiled religious thing. But, I was like, going to say, was it about, like, polyamory? Like, yeah, what was no, wrong with it? No, it was just this thing where, like, you know, the, the, the premise was that all these people were, like, in this band and this center or whatever, and they, a lot of them had, in the past, had serious, like, substance abuse problems or something like that. And they all kind of got off the stuff and they were traveling like partridge family style across the country and teaching kids to like you know that you could reach your best potential and spreading this it was it was bizarre 
It was like this. It was one of the weirdest assemblies I've ever been to. It was a, mu- it was a musical performance. Wait, this was an assembly you went to in high school? Yes. This is. Oh, I thought you said you were looking for like a no. This was at my high school. Story no, 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 about no. This. I'm getting to a current affair. On oh this. God, are you? So yeah. So this was. I, I am. <laughs> so this was like tenth tenth grade or so. They come and it's this. It was the oddest assembly I've sat through. They sang songs about like you know life and. Being okay. Best so they were weird, blah. and so they leave, and it became one of those things where it like turned into a huge joke for a couple of months, weeks, or whatever, and then you know we let it go. And about a year later, somebody says to me, "Did you hear that Love All People was on a current affair?" And apparently, there had been this story. I I've Googled for it for years on and off, and I can never find it. But like apparently, there was this story about abuse and other things that were going on in this um whatever it was and i missed the story and i'm like and that was the only con- connection i ever saw to anything on a current affair and i was like bummed that i missed the story because i love shit like that mm. <laughs> where especially if it's just like what the and not not that i like it where, like people get like hurt or anything like that but like this sort of you know yeah it's great that you found abuse hilarious <laughs> i didn't find abuse job. hilarious but it was just in the same way, like, you kind of love stories about cults, you know? And yeah. that was another thing. Like, you knew you had stories about cults, and cults were, like, a big thing, There were, you know, because of Waco, because of other stuff. Um, hard copy was a lot more, there were a lot more boobs, but <laughs> it was. It was there was a lot more sex on hard copy than I remember being on a current affair. And a current affair, it was almost like this weird look into, like, something adult that, like, when we were kids, we really shouldn't be watching this show. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I guess because I had this sheltered life, you know, I felt like I was doing something wrong when I was younger and watching this show. But what cracks me up is this general thing of where our parents did not really monitor what we watched. And we were all sitting around the TV watching, like, boobs on hard copy, yeah. like it's no big deal. Yeah. So, um... I don't really know where I was going with that, but it, it, it was just a weird thing of like how our parents were like, sure, watch her copy, go for it. We're renting Schwarzenegger movies at That's 10 right. or 11 years old. Time, time to watch things get blown up. Yeah, like, you know, um, there's nudity in this one. Yes. Yeah, really. Yeah, but yeah, there's something very, very, like, weirdly adult. And I do remember one ad for a current affair that would run all the time. and Because the current affair ads were always for that night's show. Mm-hmm. So it was tonight on a current affair, like, you know, yeah. she's doing coke and selling it, but she's a preschool teacher, you know, those sorts of stories. Like, preschool teachers can't kick back and have a good time. I know, but you know what I mean. And it was just, <laughs> but then there was this one they would run as sort of a general commercial, and it was them interviewing Rory Povich, talking about, like, kind of slapping, clapping back at all of the, the haters, talking about how people criticize the show, they call it Gonzo Television all of a sudden. I mean, talking about like how there's journalistic integrity to fucking a current affair. Yeah. And that's a good segue into the last oh, segment of our thing. Now, I'm not really going to bring up judge shows because oh, judge God. shows are a more recent they, 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 thing. Well, except the, the People's, People's Court, Court, which I well, sometimes saw. Let's not forget the other thing that aired on on Saturdays when it wasn't Redskins Report or uh, Star Trek was um, the McLaughlin Group. Again, I love how we're like around the horn, but with like around the horn, but with olds. But yeah, it was basically like a bunch of people screaming at each other about politics. So you know, around the horn with it was it was crossfire before crossfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, the McLaughlin group. Fucking, I never really watched the McLaughlin group, but yeah, Maury Povich is a great segue 
into the last thing because like, we were talking about judge shows and we talked about people's court and um, people's court was Judge Wapner and Dunn Llewellyn and that show God was on for years mm -hmm. to the point where it made it into Rain Man yes I, I watched it here and there but it was not my grandmother watched it and that's the dialogue well, yeah. my grandmother watched it after she was done watching Guiding the Light well and, when, exactly when you think about well and you know, there's something to be said, too, I think, for the evolution of daytime television. Like, you mm -hmm. don't have as many housewives. This is true. You don't have... I mean, a lot of old people aren't sitting around watching... Well, they're watching Fox News, unfortunately. Oh, but, really? like, you know, they're 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 not kind of watching... There's not as much of an audience for daytime TV as, mm. there, as there was. And they're not watching their stories. Cause That's why like, soap operas are now like windowed down to, like, left, four. Yeah. yeah. And the Judge show came about really recently, in the last maybe 10 years, oh, where it's God. just all, oh, they're so bad. Judge Judy's been around for like 20 years now, but... Well, that um, used to air at like 5.30 on Fox. Mm -hmm. I remember, I only watched, I, before, I, before we would go to your parents' house and it was like, they were clearing out the DVR of Judge shows. <laughs> the only episode, I don't know why we watched that episode of Judge Judy in my dorm room. We might have been flipping around and we came across it. All right. And fucking Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols was on as one of the people <laughs> being sued. He was either the plaintiff or the defendant. I'm shocked he showed up. I'm not kidding. He was on it. And I'm like, and, and I, we watched it because we were like, what's Johnny Rotten doing on Judge Judy? Oh, God. So this is the only one I remember Grasping watching. for relevance. This was, this was like senior college, too. Because I think I watched it with, like, Dennis. But, um... But the, the talk show, and the talk show during, from like about the early to mid 80s, all the way up until probably like the mid 90s, the one host talk show, because now we have um, on, now there, there still are some of those talk shows, but then there's a lot of um, panels, panels, like The View, The View, The Chew, which is such a disgusting title yeah, for Yeah, it's show. not great. And then you've the got talk. The Talk. And then even Kelly and Ryan has two people. Yeah, but Kelly and Ryan has always had two people because yeah, that Regis started and Kathy as Regis and Kathy Lee. And I remember when that was called, when that was only aired in New York and it was called like The Morning Show because it came oh. out after GMA. And then they went national. My grandmother used to watch Regis. Oh she my God, my Regis. grandmother oh, loved, she loved Regis. Regis and she, Bob Hope. Yeah, she never called it the... She used to call it Regis. I'm watching Regis. Yeah. You know, so. Well, Kathy Lee was annoying. Yeah. Although so. I do love her with Hoda now on the mm -hmm. fourth out of the Today Show. Since a couple of Kathy old. Lee got a lot more interesting when she started drinking. Let's face it, we all miss the Golden Girls and. Yeah, it's like live <laughs> Golden Girls, the old lady real world. Yeah. So. That that's a show. <laughs> God. I mean, if I could, because uh, that was way past the time that we're talking about. Oh, I there know. There was a show in the early 2000s. That was on, I think it was our NBC affiliate. It was a syndicated show yes. called Starting Over. Starting Over with Iyana. Oh, God. I'm no, that wasn't Iyana. Iyana Benzent? No, no, that was... was she I, could have, I could have sworn she was on it. All right, I got to look this up. Because this was basically a bunch of... It was almost real... It we, was post-Oprah, but like before they made up again. No, this was... Um, this is a, this was uh, this didn't have a oh no she wasn't she was Ileana Van Zandt yes yeah she was she Yon, was on the show Ileana yeah dude Yon, like Yon, why yeah. would you question me I know oh, all right. things Oprah so it was a it was a it was it wasn't us who came up with it, it was it was Melissa from, from the, the Real, Real World, World. Orleans who 
was a blogger she for had a, a blog, while. Princess Melissa. And she used to call it Old, old Lady, Lady Real, Real World, World because it was basically a bunch of women who were basically post rehab, living yes. in a house and Starting they were over. trying to get their, their. It was almost like a halfway house, but like not. Yeah. And, yes. and it was just this. And it only at lasted like um, a couple of seasons. A couple of seasons. One house. I need a second chance. Women from all walks of life. Striving. Bonding. Reinventing themselves. This house changed my life. Starting over. Life has never been this real. But we watched like the one season and it was it was a very cheaply produced show. Well dude, it was like syndicated or something. Yeah, before yeah. before cable kinda of took over that type of reality show. Oh yeah, yeah. But we gotta talk about the talk show. We gotta talk about what were the you had the kind of the granddaddy of them was probably Don. Donahue, yeah. Who I think he did his show live in the New York area. Yeah. because um, it was on it was on against Oprah. And Oprah came in for a, a long for a, time a, a long it was, time. yeah. But because Donahue would have people call in, yes, and so and that was. But he his thing was because there had been talk shows before him. I think like Murph Griffin had one, and Mike oh, don't forget Douglas. Um, Mike Douglas, and also um, Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett, yes. Dinah Shore had one. John yes. Davidson had one, but they were all almost like daytime versions of the Tonight Show. Yeah. Well, Dick, Cap- Dick Cavett's, I think, was a nighttime talk show. Yeah. yeah. They, they, was, they were always kind of like the same way that Ellen DeGeneres has her show now. Like, a couple of celebrity guests, a couple of, like, you know... Man, I remember the first premiere Jane season Bell of Ellen. Stuff. Yeah. It was the year we moved down here. Yeah. 2004. Ellen premiered. Because when, when I was fun employed, I used mm. to watch the hell out of some Ellen and then Oprah. Mm. But Donahue had this kind of really, I want to say, really popularized the idea that it wasn't a bunch. Sometimes they would have celebrities on, but for the most part, it was a topic. It was a panel. It was special guests. And he would take questions from the audience, and he would he would walk around, and he had kind of a snarky demeanor. Yes. Sometimes. I didn't him. like Donahue when I was a kid, except... I loved the episodes about the New York club kids. Mm-hmm. He'd bring on like the, and obviously, and you could tell again, talking about like this, this sort of dovetailing of like gay culture and the AIDS crisis and everything yeah. else. Like knowing that the majority of these people he would bring on were queer or gay or, or what have you. And um, just sort of representing something like completely different. They'd be in like platforms and glitter shorts and wigs. And I just remember watching it being like, Oh my God, I want to go to that. Like, it just looks yeah. so interesting. And, and, you know, New York was such a, I mean, you know, I was living in Stafford, Virginia and was like, this sounds amazing. And then, I, not ironically, I guess, but like eventually in my teens, like me and my best friend from high school did go clubbing quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And actually, I really liked going to gay clubs because I felt safe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that Don, Phil Donahue was like, he... He white hair glasses uh-huh. like not married to Mar- Marlo Thomas. Yeah, married to Marlo Thomas. Not the type of guy you would expect hosting a show with a topic like that. Mm-hmm. And he, and he did also, it a couple of times. And there were a lot of shows he where he had like this whole thing with strippers and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And, you know, it was this it was kind of this wild card thing of a show. But then as the eighties go on, there are two other shows that come along. Geraldo. Oh, fucking, I was Geraldo was one. When he gets hit with the chair, Jerry Rivers. Yes, Jerry Rivers. Um, brother of one of my mother's best friends in high school. Oh 
really? Yeah, my mother, my mother, one of my mother's best friends in high school, her and her was was Geraldo Rivera's sister. Oh God. Yeah, he was older than. Poor her. Yeah. So. God, his family must be so embarrassed. She knew him as Jerry. Of course. Well, that's what his name was. And he had made his name as a, he had made made a reputation as actually a reporter for WABC7. And I think he broke a couple of really, really famous stories on there. But then he got his talk show. I've always hated Geraldo. Yeah. And um, the the one episode, I saw this episode. I don't think I saw it. I think I saw it in a rerun once. But he decided to have, basically, it was like skinheads in the KKK. Yep, yep. And, and that's like, when he got hit with the chair. And Farrakhan and yes. somebody. And then they did basically Everybody, a fight into a riot. And, and he always had white supremacists on his show. So the fact that he's on like Fox now is not surprising. But I will actually, the one thing I will never forget, I think it aired in primetime, was his um, interview with Charlie Manson. Hmm. And I just remember, like, again, because my parents just let me watch what the hell ever. I mean, I'm sitting there on the floor, and they're sitting behind me while we're watching it. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, this guy is obviously fucking oh, crackers. Nuts. And so, um, yeah, so I just remember being like, oh, my God. And there were, even then as a kid, I remember being like, why is he why does he have these people on his show? You know, like, was, you're not learning anything yeah. except how terrible people can be. Well, and then, because, like, there are certain... There are certain, like, evolutions of a talk show where you can see where people take their cues from, like, kind of the original three of, like, Phil Geraldo and Donahue, and Geraldo begets Jerry Springer. And Springer was the show when we were in college that was basically, like, he put these people on stage so that this, these toothless rednecks from wherever could basically beat the shit out of each other or tear one of those clothes off. And remember they would sell the tapes on yeah. TV. You could call and get VHS. You could, you could send the self-addressed so stamped see, like, envelope. Yeah, because I want to see... Or a transcript like, from the yeah, show. I want to see, like, the... I want to see uncensored cursing and a bunch of, like, you know, trashy redneck foods. Yeah. And, like, Maury Povich, of course, like I said, he's the segue to this because he, he still has his show. But you know what the precursor of Maury was? Mm. Jerry Springer. Yeah. I mean, you don't have trashy pregnancy tests and like... <laughs> you are not the father. Grand, old ladies banging teenagers or whatever, but like you don't have that without Jerry Springer. Yeah. Which got... Which was the precursor of that was... Geraldo Rivera. Well, no, yeah. like, um, uh, not Richard Bay. Who's the other guy? Oh, Morton Downey Jr. Morton Downey Jr. Morton Downey Jr. There's a great documentary... On, I believe it, it might still be on Netflix. I, I was on Hulu at one point. It's called Provocateur, I believe. It's about it's all about Morton Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. and the rise and fall of him and how a lot of the really nasty pundit shows and things like that also come from him. Yeah. And things like that, and I never, I never watched this show mainly because it was on too late, and we were too young. Well, you know. but again, you remember, I spent summers at my grandmother's house where mm-hmm. like time ceased and there were no rules, and so I'd be up like you know eight, nine, ten years old. We'd be up at like two in the morning, mm-hmm. and Morton Downey Jr. would come on, and we'd watch it because I will never forget his logo was always a giant mouth. Yes, and the I do remember for two. I remember seeing commercials for it on Channel Nine, but I also. Entertainment Tonight factors into this. Every once in a while, they would run a story about something on his show. Yeah, yeah. You know, and because that would happen all the yeah. time. He 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 did things, and Rivera did things to make news. That fucking Al Capone's vault thing. That, that Rivera was did. quite possibly the most satisfying thing ever. Because when they opened that vault and there was nothing in it, <laughs> dumbass. Yeah. But you have, of course, the queen of daytime television, <gasps> Winfrey, and 
So, so much, but we have the Oprah's. It was the 25th anniversary yes, the box set. Yes, 25th anniversary box set. Which is an amazing DVD oh set. Oh my god, it's great. I mean, like, if you, you can't get through It's kind of like the new season, uh, the new reboot of Queer Eye. You cannot get through it without crying. And so, like, we have that, and then I made you watch the Oxygen Channel thing about the behind the scenes of her final season. Which was a great Which show. was fantastic! Yeah. I mean, I, if anybody defined my, like, middle school to teenagers, other than obviously Dance Party USA and all the other shit I watched as a latchkey kid, it was Oprah. Like, it was all Oprah. Do you remember the pro, the commercial used to do with all the people shouting out windows and stuff, like Oprah's on? Yes. <laughs> Oprah's on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Show. Don't miss a day of America's favorite talk show. Oh yeah! I remember when she sang her own theme song, and that was misguided. But I still love you, Oprah. I watched the "You Get a Car, You Get a Car, You Get a Car" live because, again, I was fun employed. It was 2004, mm -hmm. and she had been teasing like, "I've got this huge surprise. I can't wait to show you." what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And it was the time she gave away all the cars. I remember that we taped um, where she had James Fry on the show yes. to ream him oh out because God. A Million Little Pieces was complete bullshit. She was not. She straightened her hair. She was going to read him for filth. She was not having it yeah, that at was, all. Because that was, I remember that story developed because Oprah having the book club, if you had your book on Oprah's book club, it you was were going to be a millionaire. You were going to be a millionaire. You were, yeah. This was a book that was big and she put it on the on the book club and it got huge. And then it came out. And it was the smoking gun. Yes. Was the one that God. exposed it. And they started poking away at just a couple of the things that he had said and they did some investigating into it and all of a sudden... It just completely unraveled that yeah. he was completely lying about most of the stuff in the memoir. Well, and what's interesting, too, is that had a huge influence on the industry because now there's always that disclaimer on a lot of memoirs that, like, it, you know, that's basically, like, this is based on the author's memories and, like, mm -hmm. notes or whatever. It's, it basically is a disclaimer yeah. that's, like, this is not 100% true, probably. Yeah, and, I mean, she became and she became such a force that you had that, and then you had, like... The couch jumping, Tom Cruise. Tom. I was making key lime bars for Zach and Rebecca's party when that Tom Cruise episode came on, because, of course, I had Oprah on the background. Mm. And um, I remember, like, I heard a bunch of commotion, and I come out of the kitchen, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And it's Tom Cruise losing his damn mind on Oprah. Was, he t was it in the context of Scientology? Was he no, talking about Scientology? He, she was like, he was there to promote something, and she was like, well, you're in love, correct? And This is Katie Holmes. This is Katie Holmes. And he, like, basically, like marched her out to the and what was so weird but not surprising is that i think the last time he had been on oprah he was dating penelope cruz and so he's all like i draw penelope a bath i swear to god i watched every episode of oprah like i drew her a bath and she i treat her so great and whatever and then like literally like a year later he's like i'm in love and i'm jumping on a couch for katie holmes of all people yeah and but then you had like the favorite things the favorite things <gasps> is the annual christmas episode i loved favorite things and except it, the bullshit year well i mean it was great in theory 
But the bullshit year where she was like, I'm going to give you all money. I want you to like do things for people. Which was lovely. It was lovely. But I was like, no, I want the cockamamie fucking like $500 thing. I want the Philip Stein watch that's supposed to like like turn away bad vibes. I want the Ralph Lauren sweater that's yeah. like $800. Like that's what Ugg I want to see. Got it. And if you're if you're if you were a product that was not a brand like did she Ralph like a, Lauren was always going to oh, yeah, sell yeah. shit, but if you if you if she featured a product that nobody had really ever heard of, you're fucking you were a millionaire just like you, having a bestseller. You were given a warning because there was one year she did like a key lime pie, and that poor company was like we were so back ordered. <laughs> yeah. we were making pies for like ever so uh, but I do remember again in 2004 when I was fun employed that uh, that was the one where the entire audience was teachers mm-hmm. and that was really cool um, but yeah one. I love I love me some yeah. Oprah's favorite things but then you go back into some of the non-celebrity non um, kind of lighter episodes and you had some very serious episodes even I remember um I think the, the one the one thing that everybody remembers for the ladies of Oprah was when she lost a ton of weight and brought out like the all of wagon the, of fat, wagon of fat, wearing her capitalines. Um, but then there were episodes like I will always remember watching because we had to watch it in health class of all things. There was the episode about the woman who was anorexic. Oh yeah, and it's on the DVD set because yes. they did an update because she's she's dead unfortunately. Yes, she, she died years ago but they talked about how they had her on a couple of times and she had recovered but then she had relapsed Slip back yeah but it was one of those times where I, they used it in my health class to show you what an eating what mm-hmm. anorexia looked like at its most extreme and it was just one of those things that's kind of burned into your memory after a while because you know shit like saved by the bell or different strokes or whatever would do the episode about bulimia or you know they'd have the they'd have that episode but it was never like it was never realistic. Right. You know, it was always kind of laughable, but you had stuff like that or where somebody was like, had a serious drug addiction or a yeah. drug problem or, you know, like kind of like the time we watched that front line about, about meth. Meth. You know, and God, it's just like, so you see these things and, and Oprah was like really, really good Well, for and it. she was the one who did one of the first episodes about crystal meth that featured housewives mm-hmm. who were on it. Who were like, I can't keep up with every with the demands of like keeping the house and like which now that I'm a parent I'm kinda like bullshit. But anyway, you know, <laughs> and running my kids everywhere and 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 so it was about meth addiction and like um like oxycodone mm-hmm. oxycodone and Xanax, and, like, Xanax yeah. and stuff, abuse amongst housewives mm-hmm. in suburbia and that was like one of the first times that well god Oprah is even relevant now because the guy who got fired from the Trump... Now, I know it's hard to keep up with who gets fired from the Trump administration. Rob, what's his name? Who got fired because they somebody found an old Oprah clip of his wife, who was anonymized, talking about him... Abu- his ex- now ex-wife. Oh, yes. Talking about abusing her, and that's what was used to like yeah, basically goose-step him out of the, the White House. Yeah, but like... No, not goose-step. Oh, my God. Frog March. That's what I meant. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but the, the, the thing that I think is really, really important with with Oprah is that Oprah's appeal was to way beyond just a black audience. Like you had a very prominent black woman who had a very big following in the black community, but also like a lot of white women, like women, oh, there were white many, women love Oprah. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, I am one men watched Oprah too, but the audience was primarily women. And it really was this huge cross section. And when you are living in a bubble in suburbia and you are seeing stories about 
crystal meth addiction and things like that. Like she's honestly like she's performing a public service. Like you know, like but she had a massive platform. Yeah, and and she she used it really really well. And sometimes she didn't use it well. I mean, I I I do recognize that she is the person who really believed in the secret and also. She foisted McCarthy on us. Foisted like, oh my god, I gotta talk about that in a minute. But like, foisted Doctor Phil. Although we'll talk about Doctor Phil in a minute and Doctor Oz on the world. And I, so she didn't always. She's she's not nobody's perfect. She's human. But like, I do think so. One of the things I I had to Wikipedia was because one of the uh, episodes I really remember, and I think this is on the twenty fifth anniversary thing too, was when Trudy Chase was on there. Um, and she had, um, well, it, back then it was called multiple personality disorder, but now it's mm-hmm. called disassociative identity disorder. And basically she wrote this book when rabbit house, which my mother bought and I read and it was traumatizing because it's basically this woman is like, I suffered massive sexual abuse from my stepfather and my mother. And mm-hmm. so this led me to develop these multiple personalities. And so I, I but I will never forget watching that episode. I mean, it's and there's just certain episodes you just never forget, and that that was one of them. Mm-hmm. I watched it live and then read the book. I don't think my mom realized I read. I read a lot of books. My mom didn't realize I read, but like with Jackie Collins being a lot of them. But um, so I just, I mean, I just remember stuff like that. And so, yeah, she had a massive platform, and I think there was really something to be said for. You know, when you think about the purchasing power of it, and now I'm going to get real deep and dorky, the purchasing power of a typical American household is driven by women. And so you had this woman who spoke to mm-hmm. everybody and transcended a lot of, like, color lines and, you know, wealth lines and what have you, class lines. I mean, she had everybody on her yeah. show. And, like you said, white women loved her. The black community loved her. Like, everybody loved Oprah and still does, obviously, because, you know, we were joking that Oprah's going to run for president uh, earlier this year. But, like, I just think there's just something to be said for having, like, a strong woman. Like, I remember when it was it was reported that she overcame Donahue. I mean, yeah. that was a big fucking deal. Well, yeah. And then I think what, other, what people also appreciate is she brought a lot of things to light, like abuse. I mean, she was not secretive about the fact that she suffered sexual abuse as a child. And that she had to overcome a lot in her life. And I will actually never forget when she had, now I feel terrible because I'm forgetting his name. She had, he, he was on the um, Washington Redskins for a while, but he also used to be on the Jets. And he suffered sexual abuse as a child. And I just will, and this was rel- this was relatively recent. I think it was like her last season or second to last season of the show. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, because I remember his mother, because it was a stepfather. Like his yeah. mother had married a man or whatever. And, um, and he, the stepfather started abusing the football player, the child and Oprah trying to ask the mother, like, you know, did you, did you kind of know what was happening? Did you understand what was happening? Or did you realize? And she just kept saying like, yeah, I always thought my husband was a little effeminate. And it was like, that is not what Oprah is like. And to Oprah's credit, she was like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, this isn't about like whether your step your your husband was gay. This is about did you realize your husband was abusing this child? Yeah. Um, a, a, anyway, sorry, that's a huge thing. But I just remember she was a very big advocate of like giving people that voice and removing a lot of the shame from it, which I think is is a big thing. She she had the other thing that she had too was um, 
she could do these very and sometimes very salacious topics because in and more controversial topics without having to lower herself like Geraldo. Lavernius Coles, sorry. Lavernius Coles. Lavernius okay, Coles yeah. was the was the player. Like, remember the episode she did about um, guys on the on the down low? Yes. Yeah, stuff like that. So she would do these topics. She let you know what the DL was. Yeah, so she would do these topics, but never you would always maintain a very kind of like a It was very, a very human way to do yeah, it. Yeah, without yeah. without going kind of like you know, getting kind of disgusting or something. Yeah, because nobody she wasn't or, necessarily like, what do you do on the download? It was like, why do you feel like you have yeah. to do this? Wouldn't you feel freer if you were out in the open kind of thing? It was more about the human yeah. relationship aspect. And I know a lot of people diss on Oprah as like being a terrible interviewer and she probably is, but I think a lot of people I think a lot of like her norm quote unquote normal guests yeah. loved her, watched her every day, felt comfortable with her. And so I do think a lot of People opened up to her. Now, I'm not saying she's like a great celebrity interviewer because she's not, but I do think she was. I think actually the more um, sort of quote unquote normal people stories were always the more. Um, yeah. Oh God, I'm not going to say it. Effective. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say impactful. Yeah. She she had a way of connecting with her viewer where she could take very heavy topics or almost very intellectual topics or intellectual people and through her interview with them distill them for an audience that was. like a much wider swath of the country well and like one of her most famous episodes was the one where she had the woman who did the experiment or like did the whole psychological thing about like if you have brown eyes you're smarter than if you have blue eyes yeah yeah and it was really uh actually what cracked me up about this is it was really sort of an exercise to understand racial uh discrimination Mm -hmm. and there were still people in the audience who like were dumb like well wait a minute what does this have to do with eye color and i'm like oh my god Y'all are too stupid yeah. to live. But, like, I used to show, I used to talk at night for years, and she did an entire hour where her and Elie Wiesel walked around Auschwitz. Yes. And I'd seen other interviews with Elie Wiesel where, like, who was a professor, and he was talking like a professor, but when he was talking to her, and there were times in that episode I was like, Oprah, please shut up. But when he was talking <laughs> to her... I told you she wasn't a great interviewer. But when he was talking to her, it connected him to that audience of people who were not as educated at to yeah. something on, on the level of the Holocaust and didn't know a lot of detail and she would walk through them and she was walking through parts of the book so we would show it before we read the book because it was just here's this visual of this place and it was it, it's a it's a tough episode to get through and I've seen it like 20 times but yeah but it, it is because of the way that he to her credit, the production allows itself to just let him, let him have this impact, and, and they did it. You know, they did it very respectfully, and that was something I always give her credit for. Because I mean, like you said, celebrity interviews with Oprah—it's whatever. It's like a love I mean, like the John only person, really. The only person worse than Oprah in that regard is Katie Kirk. I will say there, so it's interesting because now that I think about it, it is a shame that there isn't really a platform like that now, mm-hmm. um, especially in the time we live in. You kind of felt like at the time, yeah, Oprah was really great at being able to like maybe open the eyes of like a suburban housewife in Kansas to mm-hmm. the Holocaust yeah. or whatever. But it's like the further we get away from, like when you think about Holocaust Remembrance Day, I mean, what's sad is there's a growing number of people who either don't know much about it or think it's a fucking hoax. Yeah, I know. Like that's, that's what just 
kills me. And I'm just like, you know, there are a lot, there's a whole generation of young people who are being brought up and aren't being educated about it at all. And I'm not saying it's up to Oprah to educate them, but I'm just saying like, there's something to be said for having a massive, wide ranging platform that can educate people because they already come to you to listen. So you're able to use that platform to educate people about stuff. And just, again, I feel like social media has allowed us to develop our own bubbles, but it's just, it's a shame that there isn't sort of someone or something that a lot of us can kind of come together and learn something. Well, and the show went off the air in like, I want to say 2011, 2011. Yeah. See, I told you. It was April, yeah, it was May of 2011. So Oprah, this isn't a case of Oprah existing pre a certain era, because it was only seven years ago. And seven years ago, you still had all the shit that airs during the day on cable. Okay, yeah. Both news, well, on news it, networks and, and reality. So, but like nobody has really come in and taken that spot. Uh-huh. Because you have, because The View was a show that was easy to reproduce because you, all you needed were a few relatively famous women to sit around a table and kind of have different perspectives and talk and argue with one another. Ellen DeGeneres' show is fun to watch, but it's basically like a party with celebrities. And she has she has said that yeah. she's not interested in that. Well, yeah. I mean, political to a point, but I think she's always said, you know, I want my show to be fun. But you, Which is fine. I'm not yeah, yeah. her, but you don't have an Oprah. Mm-hmm. Nobody stepped into Oprah because the, the two... Um, Two kind of not spin-offs, but kind of people that were fostered by Oprah were Doctor Oz and Doctor Phil. And Doctor Oz is just forget. Doctor Oz has disappointed me greatly yeah. because I liked it when he showed up on Oprah, and I love his book "You on a Diet." I think it's really helpful. But like once he got a Daily Show, and you know, I feel like there is a certain grind to a Daily Show when you were in a niche. Yeah. If your niche is health, and you've got sponsors. Daytime television is a shrinking market. I could see feeling like, okay, every other episode is like, here's a secret to weight loss. But then he's like peddling things like it's like some old timey 19th century traveling medicine show. Yeah, like before you know it, he's going to be talking about like the benefits of leeches. Yeah, like shit like that. Or it's like he has, because they they air commercials for his show during the morning news when I'm watching it in the morning. And um, it's like true crime Wednesdays and like, you know, Uh, things like that. And you're like, yeah. Like, the, I have enough crime that I already know about. I don't yeah. need to use that for entertainment. And then there's Dr. Phil. But Dr. Phil... Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil started on the Oprah show, and he came in, and he's this... Phil is this... No bullshit. He's this no yeah. bullshit, loudmouth guy from Texas, and that was always his shtick. And, yeah. And it was his shtick on the show, and it was an appeal, and... He was basically the spinoff, and he would air, um, I think, often after Oprah in some markets yes. or or on a different channel, but never really a direct competition with her. And his first season was about what two thousand three, two thousand four. It was around the time we got married, and then and then it was. I just remember oh four. That was the first. Dr. Phil family. Oh, the fucked up family. Where, like, as we called it, the fucked up Phil family. And so, like, basically, he would, like, work with this family, like, for a year. And, like, the girl was, like, 16 and pregnant. And the husband was, like, cheating. And the wife was, like, a shrew. And then there was this forgotten daughter. And I will tell you, I was hooked. Well, there was the one. And that that was where I actually learned of these Walmart names for 
for, for <laughs> because the one girl had two babies and she was like 19 yeah. or 18. One of them was named Braden and the other one was named Bowden. Bowden. And I'm like, what yeah. the fuck name is Bowden? And then all of a sudden, like, I'm teaching in Green County. Yeah, but you it's know like, what's yeah. funny? Like, as someone who has one child and still conflates it and will sometimes call him Tom and call you Brett, I don't know how you keep Bowden and Braden straight. Yeah, but it was just like, and, and there was the whole thing about how she's not taking care of the baby. It was, well, it was this whole saga they would come back to her. That was, that was kind of revolutionary for Dr. Phil to, like, follow a family throughout like yeah. a period of time and just kind of try to fix them even though well, it didn't succeed. And that was before the days of TLC being the shit show of oh, John and Kate plus No, and, back then and, TLC uh, was still doing a baby story, story a wedding story, story, and trading spaces. spaces yes. yes, which has made a comeback already. So see, like, I'm old enough now that like the shit I watched when I was like 24 is now yeah. being rebooted. So Oprah... There were some other shows in the late 80s and early 90s that had some notoriety to them. You had Sally Jesse Raphael, which I never watched. I don't I, really remember except, of course, her glasses. I just remember her, the glasses, and I remember her interviews with her every once in a while. And so, so I really can't speak to that as much. But the other three I can kind of... You had Jenny Jones, and I never really watched Jenny Jones, but the big controversy of Jenny Jones was how... Yes. She had um, one of these episodes where... You tell your crush. You tell your crush that you have a thing for him. And this was 93 or 94. Yeah. And the, they got this guy on. This guy, somebody has a crush on you. It happened to be another guy. Mm -hmm. And the result of that, and I don't think the show ever actually aired. Because the, the guy who was the crush E yes. killed the other guy. And I don't think that show actually ever made it to air or it was never redone. Yeah. I, I don't remember what the circumstances surrounding that were. I don't either. But I just remember thinking how like how awful. Just because someone has a crush on you doesn't mean like you're gay. Like why yeah. would you have to kill that person? Yeah. Like what a... The 90s and when we watched... Um, American Crime Story, uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace, which was so much about, so much less about Gianni Versace than it was about Andrew Cannon. And, well, and, and just gay culture in the 90s, yeah. don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. And basically, I think it's easy to look back, it's easy now to think like, oh, gay people have always been accepted, gay people, you know, have had rights or whatever, and they haven't, I mean... Gay marriage was just legalized. Um, Will and Grace, when it came on in 1998, was revolutionary. Well, the first Queer Eye was all about, like, hey, can you just recognize that we're in this space? Queer Eye, the Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, when it came out, was like a landmark show. It was huge. It was so well, I mean, remember when SNL did a sketch and they were saying that something was on Bravo and they were like, it's the Gay yeah, Stuff and Poker, poker Network. Network. Well, and, you know, we have to remember that Matthew Shepard only died 20 years ago. Right. And that was 98. Yeah. You know, so so being gay in the nineties was it was it was, it was still fraught. very very it yeah. Was fraught. Yeah, I was trying to come up with the best words for it. I want to say it was bad because I'm not, I don't mean like it was challenging. It was, it was yeah. challenging. You could you had very specific limited pockets of acceptance. And having been someone who danced a lot in gay clubs, my best friend in high school, well, at the time he said he was bi, but he's definitely yeah. gay. It was terrible. I mean, like, Stafford at the time, and still to some extent, was super rednecky. I mean, having, like, a bi, like, having a black boyfriend as a white girl was, was fraught. And having, you know, having interracial couples was a big deal. And so definitely being gay, 
there were no other out gay kids in my high school. But now it's almost part of being a teenager as much as it is this whole idea of, you know, like, it, not, not that like it's a typical teenage experience, but it's mixed in with like being just kind of a teenager. And Figuring out who you are. Figuring yeah. out who you are. Where you have teenagers realizing and coming to terms with who they are with their sexuality in middle school and into high school, where or even elementary school. Back in elementary school, when back when we were kids, you essentially stayed out in the in the closet until yeah. you could finally escape, find and, your people, and find your people. And that's twenty five years ago, twenty twenty five years ago. That's not a very long time. And this is a it's community, a very recent history. And and this is a community that when we were in high school was still being ravaged by AIDS. By AIDS. Well, and that's the thing, like, I mean, not to, I know we're talking about Jenny Jones, but really we're just talking about this controversy, but like, I remember, again, I think we were probably one of the last generations where they were very, like, when you went to health class, it was very blatant. Wear a condom. Here's a banana. Practice putting a condom on it. Condom, condom, condom. Ooh, TLC. Ain't too proud of the big video. Had the condoms all over it. I mean, and waterfalls was a a big thing. I mean, it was just, and actually one of my parents' good friends, they were a gay couple. This is actually the essay I wrote to get into UVA. They were a gay couple, and um, they, uh, Gary, who was the more like extroverted, friendly part of the couple, we had just moved to Stafford, and he called my mom, and basically he was like, I have HIV, and he died two years later. I mean, it was just, I mean, it, it was, it was fucking scary. You were like, so just coming up as a teenager in the 90s, it was, it wasn't even pregnancy, it was you're going to die of AIDS if you don't put yeah, this condom on. And, and that was um, back in my series about DC Comics, I did a whole episode about com- PSA Comics. And I did some of the sillier drug ones because the 80s and, and the drug... You didn't do the thing. one about Hostess Fruit Pies? <laughs> I feel like that's but, a PSA. But there is a very... There was a six-page comic that was distributed free to comic shops written by Neil Gaiman called Death Talks About Life. And it was... Death from the Sandman because she's de- she's Morbius's sister. Morpheus's sister, not Morbius. That's a Marvel character, and she does. It's just her addressing the audience, talking about AIDS. Mm-hmm. And at one point, she has John Constantine come in and do the ben- condom on the banana demonstration. And it was an early Vertigo book, and it was meant for a slightly older audience. It said it had mature readers label on it, but a bunch of us who were fucking reading like Superman and Batman got it. And then the DC ran one-page PSAs where it was like a comic strip with a character. There was a kid in Robin's school who had AIDS, and he has this conversation with Alfred. And Alfred's like, you know, he's just another kid. You know, the, the sort of these sort of PSAs that yeah. were meant for slightly younger kids. But again, like that was the height of that was that was where awareness was at its peak. Whereas five years earlier, yeah, like it was still this scourge that. N- out in the suburbs, people right. didn't think about. Well, speaking of the suburbs, speaking of the platform, like I remember, because bring it back to soap operas, One Life to Live did an episode where um, a character played by Ryan Phillippe, see, everybody stars in soaps, um, ha- was a gay character, and um, they go to see the AIDS quote in D.C. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time the AIDS quote was laid out on the National Mall. And I think he, I think he did end up passing on the show. I don't remember. I but do like, remember there was, and there was one that to the house that had it was that was a landmark. Yes, thing for television. and my grandmother, bless her heart, love you, grandma, but you were a racist. 
racist, <laughs> classist, everything else is sobbing watching this episode about the quilt being on the National Mall and sobbing that this character dies. And I mean, you know, it. it I mean, yeah. if you can get my racist grandma to sob for somebody dying of AIDS, you've made an impact. To the point where we mentioned Richard Bay very briefly, and to the point where I remember an episode of the Richard Bay Show, which I watched from time to time, because the Richard Bay Show was basically Springer light. It was right. basically him getting a bunch of assholes on to yell at each other, and it's then sometimes Stern. It, yeah, it, it was basically Stern, and this was around the time Stern actually had a night weekly weekly Saturday Night Variety show, which was kind of like if you took his radio show and made sketches from And he still, and he had the show on E! where it was like basically his, um... It was like camera in the studio. Camera in the studio, yeah. Yeah. So, but like, Bay was like a lot like Stern. I think Bay started in radio. Mm -hmm. But Bay had a whole thing, it was, um, this is where I learned that December 1st was World AIDS Day. Because I went home to watch TV, and I flipped around, and I was like, oh, Richard Bay's on, let's see what crazy shit he's got going on. And it was a very serious hour of television about AIDS. And I knew what AIDS was by the time, because this was in the early 90s. So I'd already gone through what at that point was probably like four years of family life curriculum. Mm-hmm. And they started the AIDS education when I was in the fifth grade. And they talked about like, because they told us like, they, we all knew who had babies from me, but they told us all this stuff about sex and they talked about what AIDS was and the amount of information they had on the time, which was not as much. And that eventually developed, but it was just this thing where they talked about AIDS cult and stuff and it's just... Again, you, and I know it's like weird to equate AIDS with like talk shows and things, but again, bringing these very heavy topics, you talked about Donahue and the club kids in New York, we talked about Oprah and all of these different things, and at least sometimes Oprah would totally admit when she's made mistakes, Oprah admits her own humanity, even though there are times where like Oprah's completely out of touch. Um, like when she had Goldie Hawn on to talk about colors and aura, right. I was like, Oprah girl, yeah. what are you doing? But, but they, they, they did this almost like this service of reaching a very wide audience who is not always educated about these things because maybe they don't know about it because they, it's not covered in their local news. You know, I think, you know, when you're in a rural community, Oprah may be the only education you're getting about it. Or, like, that, there was a storyline on ER, I think, like, a couple of seasons in, where Gloria Rubin played a doctor who uh, and eventually ended up dying of AIDS. But she was HIV positive. She was HIV positive at the time, positive at the time and I remember, I will never forget that, because, again, we used to watch ER and then go drink on Thursdays. Hey, wahoo I used to watch ER and go write my column, so... Well, <laughs> we have very different college experiences, yeah. but, um, so, and I just remember when she's in the throes of dying, um, it's either Gloria Rubin is telling something to a patient, I just remember there's a patient that is dying, and, um, she's asking for forgiveness from her husband, who she also infected, mm-hmm. and, um, he's not there. So another doctor steps in and says, I forgive you. And so it's just, again, it was at that point, I mean, because, God, I was in college by then. So this was after years and years and years of being like, put something on it when you do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, again, and it was pop culture that was spreading it because you weren't always going to get it in the classroom. You weren't, I mean, depending on the community you came from, I mean, like, I mean, I went to school with kids who came straight from, like, Georgia and had been Southern Baptist. They didn't drink. They didn't do, I mean, like, they didn't do anything. 
And so, you know, and then they come to like the hugest party school in in the area. And I just remember being like, oh my God, like what's going to happen to these girls? Yeah. Well, and the thing, and the difference between Oprah and the more serious, better episodes of other shows and the Donahue show and something like The Chew, The Talk, is that Donahue and Oprah almost, I don't want to say they sought to educate you, but they, they presented. Right. And they presented and they had experts on. And with those shows, it's just your fucking coffee, neighborhood coffee clutch spreading ignorance half the time. Because they like, you know, sometimes, maybe, the, I haven't watched enough of the show to really know this, but a lot of times it's like when they have these kind of talks back and forth, it's like, okay, yeah, like people who are on some level having conversations amongst friends that maybe you might have, but... I don't know if you learn much from well, that. Well, I think uh, I think the key word for a lot of stuff that's on right now is inconsequential, and because I think yeah. a lot of the real stuff that's being done is being done through social media or being done online. When yeah. you look at like news and guts, when you look at decoded on MTV, when you look at um, when you look at some other things that are being done. I mean, like I even look at my feed right now, and you know, it's like I'm following like the Southern Poverty Law Center. I'm following the ACLU. I'm following news and guts, and it's like sadly, I mean. And I don't know if it's just being older, but, you know, the fact that there was, you know, an Oprah was provincial. Um, and it was great while we had it, but I think, you know, I think about that time, I think about, like, the Donahue and the Oprah. And then I think about kind of like the early aughts where it was very, I mean, I think about Sex and the City. I think about, like, a lot of the consumerist, glamorous but almost like this notion that everybody should have this luxury like if you look at pop culture and you the look at like the early 2000s right the, because of yeah. the com well and yeah the economy was fantastic we graduated into a really great economy yeah. and you know um, Clinton was still president and so the, we were in an economic boom and I just think there was a lot of sort of I mean when I think about a phrase for that time I think I, I think like candy colored because again, the fashion was atrocious and tragic, but like it was very, we were graduating into a great economy. You had Sex in the City sort of. I mean, I remember being on eBay getting ready to buy Manolos. Okay, well, this isn't. <laughs> you mentioned very early on in our conversation, Lifestyles Rich and Famous. Yes. Which really ran in the 80s, and it was Robin Leach talking, and, and it was, and he would basically, it was total, it was luxury porn. Right. And that's where you heard brands like Bentley, Rolls Royce, Mercedes. I'm talking about luxury cars, obviously. Well, it's very designers, 80s. Yeah. You know, and, and certain designers and things that, you know, if that you may not have been able to afford unless you were like of the variety of the Richie kid from a John Hughes movie. Right. But by the time you get to the late 90s and early 2000s, like, people are buying luxury branded clothes that five to ten years before they wouldn't have even thought of buying well you know? and the caveat being I feel like I sit in a very I, well not I feel like I know I sit in a very privileged place <laughs> talking about this because I was an only child my parents did have a hiccup financially very early on but basically for most of my life I had everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I was the girl in high school with the coach purse. And I knew I loved fashion. I loved House of Style. I read Vogue, Elle, anything I could get my hands on. I loved 
fashion. I still love fashion, even as a fat woman and a fat teenager, I love fashion. Um, and so, but I think there was something about the early aughts where it was, if you, you had like attainable luxury, right? Mm -hmm. So if you couldn't get the $20,000 Birkin bag from Hermes, maybe you could buy the $100 face cream from La Mer. So there was this, it was a very, it was very consumerist. And when you look at like lifestyles of rich and famous, I think what was fun about watching that is that rich and famous went together right like you yeah. this was something beyond your wildest dreams the wealth was so ostentatious that you had you just watched it to gawk at it you didn't ever think you could have it but then like in the early aughts you have like Paris Hilton walking around with a Swarovski encrusted whatever the Blackberry hell Blackberry or Blackberry yeah. or whatever the, the thing that used to pop up or whatever god I'm showing my age but like you know, whatever that was, and you were like, well, she's Paris Hilton, but I could get that phone, or yeah. I could get, and I remember, there was a time, and now I'm really showing my age, but like, there was a height of Coach, the handbag fashion company, where Reed Krakow was their creative director, and actually most of my Coach bags are from that time, because it really was attainable luxury, and I remember being very obnoxious, although... Sometimes I still think this where, you know, I, I used to walk around proudly declaring that I never bought a handbag that was under $500. And so, you know, if Carrie Bradshaw is saying she's the old woman living in her shoes, I'm the old woman living in my handbags. So it's, it, it was, but because it was attainable, right? Like it was $500 for a pair of shoes. $500 for a handbag. I didn't have any kids. I made decent money. We were living together, so we were splitting rent. Like, why wouldn't I buy a pair of Well, and you talk about attainable luxury, but then there's the old idea now, and I know we're way off topic, but we're kind of... We're, <laughs> You're going to have to edit this but I, I, But, yeah, but I... Maybe gonna, this is a bonus. I am going to bring this back to something on our generation. Um, attainable celebrity. So, because... You get this, you know, you have your A-list celebrities, the, the $20 million commanding, per movie commanding people. You have, you have your slightly, you know, the movie stars, the TV stars. But then in the 2000s into now, you have this, like, low-level celebrity that usually appears on, like, reality shows. Uh, yeah, you had the advent of reality Where, television. Whereas back when we were in junior high and high school... The vanilla ices of the world were like kind of a novelty. Every once in a while, there'd be somebody yeah. like him who shoots up from like seemingly out of nowhere, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like a minor celebrity for a time, and then burns out. And right. the idea that the old Warhol saying about having fifteen minutes of fame, and those people would come and go, and then they'd be a fucking trivia question, right? right. Now there's this almost like this weird world of. Like, you are famous because you are on a reality show. And sometimes it's part of a, of a, of a particular community. Like, um, I'm thinking of, like, RuPaul's Drag Race, where yes. people who win RuPaul's Drag Race are celebrities within that community with the fans of the show. But, you know, like, I don't think my parents are going to know who anybody on that is. Yeah. But then you have these shitheads like the Duggars mm -hmm. or like things where they're they're famous just for fucking existing, you know? And, right. and you know, uh, the Kardashians, 
The Kardashians are just rich people who got famous for having a TV show. I mean, but at least they develop products. Yeah, there's, there's Kylie's got her lip this kit. Is, uh, yeah, I'm talking about people like <laughs> below the Kardashians. Right, right. You know, I mean, the Kardashians' well, talent is marketing. <laughs> but you have to remember too, like before Kim had her big ass in a sex tape, as Joe McHale would say, um, she was referred to as like a stylist friend of Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's and Kim was always going to have luxury because right. she was rich. Robert Kardashian's daughter. Yeah. Yes. And you know, at the time Chris was married to Bruce now Caitlyn. Um and so they were they were always going to have money. But I do think well and I think that's almost like that. There is with social media there is this almost for better or worse a democratization of fame. Mm-hmm. Where you can be an Instagram influencer and nobody knows who the fuck you are, but if you have a ton of followers on Instagram you're getting sponsorships suddenly you're like I think because I used to follow a lot of like um, fashion bloggers or like like um, Gabby uh, I think her last name is Greg but Gabby Fresh basically and she's a plus size um, fashion blogger and you know she went from having a blog to you know obviously you know becoming like a huge influencer through her blog and she's launched her own fashion line she's launched launched her own line of swimsuits so anyway Nobody cares about all that. But, but like, like, look at like Chris but, Hardwick did with Nerdist. And yeah. Like well, and Chris Hardwick started out as the host of... Fucking Singled Out with singled Jenny, out with Jenny McCarthy. McCarthy. Oh, yeah. my God. So when we were talking about Oprah, I forgot to mention that again. It wasn't only being fun employed when I watched Oprah. I was on maternity leave <laughs> when I watched the episode with Jenny McCarthy um, and Holly Robinson-Pete. So let's not just put all the blame on she Jenny. Hops. I just remember that episode sat with me for a long time. Well, that led to a Newsweek piece because um, I remember Oprah was on the cover, and it was back when Newsweek and Entertainment Weekly would do the celebrity photos, where like it was a f- big head profile and like kind of the way their eyes kind of looked weird, where they you could see the reflection of the camera. Oh yeah, really yeah, like, you saw like the head and the headline was the Oprah effect. And the Jenny McCarthy episode was like really, really prominently featured because that Jenny McCarthy, the, the anti-vax movement existed. Prior to that, it did. But so that she, put it on she the leveled map it up and for it, sure. And it, it, I don't want to get into a whole yeah, thing yeah. about that. But but that was one of the things. But again, that's sometimes but where it, the platform of Oprah went fucking sideways. Yeah. But you have like like you said, attainable luxury and things like that. And with this idea that you can become a celebrity, which is something that this per current generation of teenagers and people slightly. I mean, older, look at the people who are trying to become YouTube celebrities yeah, yeah, or like the, like the, the so cash me outside girl yeah. who started on Dr. Phil and now she has like YouTube videos. Yeah. I mean, and, it's, and that whole thing. Now yeah. that's something new to this generation. It's not even a millennial thing because people forget that the millennials are now like, if they're the older millennials are in their thirties. So their parents' generation, they had, they have their, um, they had people who would eventually become kind of their their guides through things, and then they're the people of their generation who were celebrities or representatives were actors and, and musicians and things, and we're looking at the pop culture landscape, mm-hmm. and not the athletes or the astronauts or anybody like that, but you had the Beatles and you had Elvis and you so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there were every once in a while, then we had ours, we had Eddie Vedder, we had Kurt Cobain, we had Madonna, we had... Um, NWA, Tupac, and Biggie. Biggie. We had uh, Janet, Public Enemy, had, Janet, and, Michael too. Yeah, we had like all these. We all, had the big we ones. We had these people. Yes. Generation X, because we're at the tail end of Generation X, and Generation X had our superstars, and we had our actors, and we had our TV shows, but we also had every once in a while these sort of representatives of our generation who were either on the news 
in terms of reporting it, Tabitha Soren, for example, yes. was totally the, hey, she's like just a little older than you, and yeah. she's you. Know, or in the talk show where we had Ricky Lake. Because yes, Ricky Lake was totally, Ricky Lake was in her 20s. She was totally. That, this was her comeback story. Because she was she in did, Hairspray. She did, a, she did like a season and a half of China Beach. Yes. But she did and Hairspray China, before that. Yeah, and then she lost like a ton of weight. And did Ricky Lake. The whole Ricky, Ricky Lake show was targeting Gen X because it was, here is somebody who is only a little bit older than you. Or if you're a Gen Xer who's like one of the cast members of Reality Bites or, you know, that type. And you really don't have much else to do because you're flat broke. So you are watching TV in the middle of the day or you are watching you don't have anything else. Here's somebody who probably looks like they probably went to college with you. And... He, the topics are all like relationship shit or fashion stuff or like, you know, my mom doesn't like the way I dress, so we're going to give you a makeover, but... I love a Ricky Lake makeover. Yeah, there were Ricky Lake makeovers where it's like, you know, you know, my daughter's, my daughter's acting all butch and she wears her this UPS uniform all day and now oh, I'm going to make her wear a dress and then she comes... She I'm not saying you have to be girly. That was Don't an actual episode. It was an actual episode of a show. It was either her or Jenny Jones that did the show. But it Jenny was, Jones did a lot of makeup. Yeah, too. so I, I might be confusing the two, but I remember this daughter, she had a short haircut and she was just the typical teenage pissed off look on her face and like mom hated the fact that she wasn't girly enough so they did the makeover and she came out and she was wearing a dress she looked fine it was from laura ashley dress or whatever oh laura ashley yeah and they sit her down and then like she immediately goes and finds this she literally was wearing a ups shirt and she put it on and she's like i feel more comfortable now was the, and the whole thing was the argument between parents and kids identity which is a tale as old as time it goes i was gonna to say i was generation. just talking to a friend of mine who has a 15 year old and she's already like yeah i can tell like all she's like i kind of just try to roll with what she does fashion wise hair wise makeup wise sex yeah, yeah, wise yeah, yeah, she's yeah. a girl but she's taken on a male name and now she says she's pansexual which she may be but to the mom's credit, she's like, I'm just rolling with all of it because that's part of figuring out who you are. So again, here we are, 2018, 15-year-old is still figuring out her shit, and it is a tale as old as time. I think yeah. the nice nuance here is that she is in a space where she can do that without retribution. Okay. So Ricky Lake, Ricky Lake would have topics, and I'm looking at the Wikipedia page really quickly because I don't, I don't have really a, a list of their episodes, but it was, I'm looking at it, maybe this is whoever was writing the Wikipedia entry, but it says, during the series run, his primary focus was on dealing with personal subjects like parenting skills, including single mothers who are accused of having the lack of experience taking care of children, which, if we remember the 92 election, and... Dan Quayle. Oh, God. Murphy and Murphy Brown. Brown <laughs> which is getting a reboot. <laughs> which doesn't need a reboot. I loved Murphy Brown, but it doesn't need a reboot. You know what, though? Faith Ford never ages. Yeah, I know. She was the same. But, but, but single parenting became a hot topic in the early mm -hmm. 90s. So the idea of having single mothers on the show... Um, Again, it's so cute. What was controversial back romantic then? Romantic relationships, both marital and non-marital... LGBT issues like discrimination, same-sex couples who want to have children, or straight people attracted to a person with LGBT, or the other way around, racism and prejudice even within their own race and gender, interracial relationships, family discord, revealing secrets, and social topics of the day like money, looking for work, or being on welfare. 
remember, we were in a recession because the show started in about 1993. It ended in 2004. I didn't realize that show was on there that long. I didn't either. At times, she had later shows ranging from contests including female impersonators, beauticians, or those who want to prove that they do have talent, celebrity guests or reunions, and reunions to, to granting viewers personal wishes. There was even a practical joke show where people would go into a restaurant and have to take off a piece of clothing every time they got part of the meal. Oh, God. Um, that sounds weird. Et cetera, et cetera. I just think it's funny that it says female impersonators instead of drag queens. Yeah, whoever wrote this. Um, <laughs> like I said, I'm just re reading off of the paragraph, uh, one paragraph on Wikipedia, but you look at that and it is almost like a Gen X attempt at Oprah because Oprah would mix, Oprah really had a good formula for that. Um, and, and it looked like somebody, Gar Garth Ansier, I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, who eventually became the head of, the head of NBC. Mm -hmm. So he produced the show. But um, but it was just they saw that formula and they saw her, who was an attractive but not too attractive, approachable But she woman. was only attractive after she lost weight. Yeah, I know. Which but, is bullshit. But the, the point being that she you have this person who is attractive, has a good personality, mm -hmm. And is approachable, and you put her on, and she is twenty. She's young. She's young. I'm, because I remember Ricky Lake. Was, Ricky Lake was getting profiled again as a teenage girl. Rick, I saw like profiles about Ricky Lake in like Seventeen and YM when she was doing Hairspray, and so I was aware of Ricky Lake for a while. Yeah. So she was born in '68. So the show premiered she was in nine years older than we were. Yes, yeah, so the show premiered in '93. So this, she was about twenty-five. Yeah, twenty-five, and you have a nationally syndicated talk show, and mm -hmm. that's unheard of when <laughs> in the era of when still on the on the air. I think Donahue was in its final days. Oprah Winfrey is, was. She older. was in like her forties. She was in her forties. Um, Sally Jesse was old. Geraldo's, and I'm old, relatively older, speaking, adult. No, they were adult. They were no, baby yeah, boomers. Yeah. They and were, so yeah. you had somebody of our generation taking that approach that Oprah had, and I don't, I don't think I remember a lot of the shows, and I remember, I more remember the silly relationship, because it was always the topic of the show was never like two words. It was always like a statement, like you know, yeah, I'm, like I don't like how my daughter dresses, yeah, uh, or I need. I've help slept with, with your man, and I'll do it again. Oh God, Ooh, the Ricky Lake show. I've slept with your man, and I'll do it again. Wig pull. Um, Wait, what? Wig pull. Wig pull. Wig pull. <laughs> I want surprise. I want to sleep with you. Um, oh boy. Let me see. I just I search Ricky Lake show. I feel YouTube. like the I've slept with your man, and I'll do it again. Is basically is basically like. If that's your boyfriend, he wasn't last night, oh, which was a big hit for Michelle and Degnuccello. But basically, you had these shows that I, you know, I, I do want to give her a little bit of credit because it was at least an attempt to do something that was cool and connected. Was with a little younger, and, yeah. and you know, I watched it from time to time because it was just it was just interesting, and the people on the show were interesting, and they were younger as well. Well, yeah, and I I gotta admit I didn't watch a lot of Ricky Lake because I was busy watching Oprah. But you also know internally I am an old lady. I've been an old lady my entire life. I can't wait to be eighty and swan around on a caftan. I'm just waiting to hit the number. Drink some little and I. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm just ready. Yeah. So, I mean, and now, like I said, we, we talked a little bit about Dr. Phil, but Dr. Phil came out 
after the era that I'm generally covering. But I wanted to mention Dr. Phil because of the fuck the family. My God, that family was Dr. Great. Phil's still in the air. Well, and then he had a second family. I'm sure he's had subsequent families. Yeah, yeah. And the talk show's still around. I mean, and a lot of these types of shows are still around. We still have, I mean, uh, Sports Center is your main sports show. Redskins Report, those types of shows are still on. <laughs> well, in Sports Center, um, I'll turn on for like, I mean, there's there's certain shows I call like background noise shows. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll turn on like Sports Center, or like when Food Network actually airs something that's not Guy fucking Fieri, I'll turn that on for background yeah. noise. Or whatever. And, like, when I work from home occasionally, I will turn on, like, Kelly. I'll turn on the fourth hour of today. Because I love Hoda and Kathy Lee. And then I'll listen to Lee, Kelly and Ryan or whatever. So I'll still dabble a little yeah. in daytime TV. Yeah. And, and the, the, the sad thing, though, is, and this is something I noted about, I've noted about syndication through this whole series, is that cable's really taken over the role that syndication once had because cable has become so much more accessible than it was in the 80s and 90s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really wasn't until the late 90s where it became ubiquitous. Well, and cheaper. I, I had other friends who had and didn't have cable for a while, but then it wasn't until we were in, until late high school where everybody had it but me. I remember the year you guys got cable and um, air conditioning. Mm-hmm. It was a huge year for you. Yeah, it was a big year in the Panneries house. <laughs> um, but like... I mean, remember back in the early 90s, people had illegal cable. And that's, I don't know if that, I don't people <laughs> think people had illegal, have illegal cable anymore. I don't know how you would possibly steal cable now. But, um, well, you can get your parents' HBO Go password. Yeah, but I mean, my friend, my friend had an illegal cable box. Like, you know, oh. let's stay over at your house. Salacious. And, yeah, watch the Playboy channel. Salacious B roll. Remember when you could get, oh God, the scrambled porn channel? <laughs> It's one of the few scenes in American Pie that's like, that's so true to life. And sometimes it would come in really clear and you'd be like, oh look, There's there no, it is. Sometimes we had one channel where like, there was no sound, but there was a visual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just the music for some reason. Yeah, yeah no, same. I mean like, I mean, it was just it was just a running joke amongst all my friends. To, to take us out on, on one last type of show, because we talked about the daytime talk show and the nighttime talk show. Is more of a network thing because you had Letterman even back then. We had Carson and Letterman and, and Arsenio. That was going to get. I was just about to get to Arsenio because Arsenio was a syndicated nighttime talk show. Now after Carson, after right around the time of late night words, there were a couple of others like Dennis Miller had one for like six months or a season or something. Remember Joan Rivers had one. Joan River. Joan Rivers. That was the Magic reason. Johnson had a show. Sheila yeah. E was his drummer. Joan Rivers' talk show was the reason Carson never talked to her again. Yeah. Because that, that was the story she told for years was the, the fact that he wanted her to replace him on The Tonight Show, but he was taking too long to step down. And Fox was launching the network. In fact, she launched the Fox network. It was her first show on Fox. And it was Joan, it was her nightly talk show. And then she ended up having a daytime talk show after that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which also didn't. That was that was around the time that there were like four or five like daytime talk shows like that came and went in like a season. I mean, like damn. fucking Gabrielle Carteris oh, had and a not talk, uh, and, and what's her first Tempest show? Tempest. Had a, yes. They both had talk shows, and then it was like you know, and they they came and went like it was. Yeah. They, they all tanked, but Arsenio, I think, is important. God damn, I loved Arsenio. Studios on Melrose Avenue. 
Arsenio was another show like Ricky Lake that totally skewed younger. Oh yeah, because younger more college, open audience. College kids may be watching Letterman. Letterman had a big I did college love audience. I like Late Night. Letterman, no, I was on. Yeah, Late Night, the original Letterman show was on very late. But Arsenio, Arsenio hosted the MTV Video Music Awards like three or four years in a row. People tend to forget that. Oh yeah, that was the Prince Get Off performance. Yeah, I mean, he, they, they used to they used to rerun that on Fox like about a week uh, about after. a week after it was yeah. on. And like you know, he was Arsenio Hall was a big fucking deal for a while. Then he, he show was. went off in like ninety-four. Well, then he wa- he opened his big mouth and said he was going to kick Leto's ass. Arsenio was a show that that nowadays would still stay on the air because it's getting the key demographic. Not a, not that it's beating the other two. Yeah, but ratings. I mean, the thing is though. But they didn't look at the key. Who demographic. did Bill Clinton decide to go on? But no, the point. My point was that like nowadays, Arsenio would have lasted through all I of think that so, because yeah. he had the key demographic in the way that maybe. Leno didn't. Or, you or almost Leno want to see Arsenio. I mean, if he's not crazy, I don't know what Arsenio is up to. You almost see, want to see him do like a podcast. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. His show was fun because he was um, he he got the hipper. He did guests. He got going all the way back to talking about variety shows and Showtime and Soul Train. He got acts that you never saw. Um, the only other person I can think of, at least in terms of. of and this is more like white bands in terms of independent rock and punk and stuff like that, was Conan got his fair share of... Because Conan would, Conan would have bands on that, you know, like Goldfinger and bands like that that you'd never see but that. But he could be experimental because he was in the late Yeah, so, so and, and Arsenio... But I think David Arsenio Letterman did that too because um, Paul was the guy who kind of oversaw like the booking of the bands yeah, yeah. and he for being an old dude had yeah. a very modern Letter, aesthetic yeah but like you know but like Arsenio had Arsenio was not afraid to no to, 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 he, to go right at the youth he was great well. well not even youth but urban youth like he was he was like look I'm gonna focus on this audience I'm gonna focus on this urban young audience and if you white people want to come along great but I'm going to focus on my audience. And I think it was interesting because people embraced it. Somebody missed an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Either Hall or Fox or who knows. But what's interesting is I wonder if the syndication model made Arsenio more money. It's very possible. I mean, Arsenio could have been like, fuck you. I'm not going to tie to a yeah. network. I'm going to syndicate it. It is it. very, very possible, especially since Fox back in the late 80s and very, very Probably couldn't pay him. Probably. They, they weren't as, they were kind of a, Honestly, they kind of were a joke. I mean, like you had. Oh yeah. You you had a few. The Simpsons used to make the Simpsons and in Living Color used to make yeah. fun of Fox all the time. Yeah, so we. I think we. I think we've exhausted our our talk shows. Our news you poor shows. people. I really hope yeah. Tom edits this. <laughs> oh yeah, well, maybe no, but no. This was fun because this is. <laughs> Yes, with the exception of Oprah and and wrestling, Arsenio and a couple of other shows, you'd actually make a note to watch. But for the most part, this is shit you came across on TV well, because it just happened to be on and you sat and you watched it. Well, right? when we were kids, well, not me because my dad had to have every electronics piece ever. But like most households had one, maybe two TVs. Yeah. So you really were subject to whatever like your grandma or your parents were watching. Or your sister. Or your sister, apparently. But like, I mean, oh, I had a TV in my room at age seven. Mm. I told you, spoiled only child, I'm sorry. But like, you know, most households and I still like to sit in the living room with my parents and watch TV. So a lot of times, yeah, you were subject to what they were watching. And then when I was a latchkey kid and I free ran the TV for three to four hours, 
then that's when I really got to like watch, like watch Dance Party USA and like cartoon whatever. Animaniacs. I mean, I watched Animaniacs in high school. And having, I know we're going to talk about cartoons later. And having access, as I did, to six or seven channels. <laughs> and at four, at five o'clock, three of those channels went to news. Four, I think. I think the Fox affiliate also would have a local news broadcast by then. So then you got limited to... If you didn't want to watch the news, it was what was on PBS at that point. So it was probably, probably that's why I watched McNeil a lot. McNeil Lair? No, McNeil Lair was on at six or seven. I think Degrassi was usually on at like Oh, five, I forgot. Degrassi, for how could I forget? And we're in the world in Carbon San Diego. Ah! And, um,. One two three contact. Three two one contact. Three two one contact. I and, used to get yeah. the magazine. Yeah, and the uh, Bloodhound Gang. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. So um, oh God. that was on. Um, but then, if you were if I was watching nine or eleven, it was sitcoms or a talk show. Or you watch like Silver Spoons, that used to Different come shows, on. Silver Spoons. Spoons. Yeah, like the old shit. Fucking, this is why I've seen every episode of Saved by the Bell. Um, it was, and this is why my sister like. I, my sister watched Full House, and that's when I—that's usually when I left the room. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, like six o'clock. Full House was on. And it was Full House and Family Matters, and it's just like I can't watch these fucking shows anyway. But like, this was stuff that you came across because you needed background noise because you were doing your homework, or there's nothing fucking better to watch on television, and you didn't have cable or whatever, or or even if maybe if even if you did, it was just like. This looks halfway interesting. Look at this shit show of a whatever, and you know we. I never really watched a full episode, many full episodes of Maury, but I saw watched the soup long. Oh, time. the soup you, you really helped with that. A lot yes. of Maury. Talk and, soup, the soup, House Sparks, yeah. John, um, Henson, and, and John Henson and um, Angel. Like I would watch. Uh, well, no, and Aisha, Aisha Tyler. Tyler. I loved Aisha. Yeah, and it was just like. So this was stuff that even or on weekends. So Maury went, went through like four soup posts. Yeah, and like or you're home in the summer and you got nothing better to do, and it's between reruns of like Good Times and whatever was on for the cartoons. Good times. And so, like I'm saying, I have a lot of memories of watching a lot of these things because, or I remember the commercials for a lot of them in the case of like a current affair and hard copy. Because I just happened to be watching something else, and I happened to be fit clean channels, and I was bored. And that was the real advantage of having syndicated television back in the in the eighties. Well, that and like it was always fun to have like a sick day because you knew you were gonna have shit to watch. Like you were gonna be able. What to... are you gonna watch if the Price is Right or it's over? Well, you, you want, you you're want... gonna watch all the all the yeah. soap operas. Yeah, because you watch the Price is Right at eleven, and you plan everything else around that. <laughs> yeah, and then I'd watch some USA. Uh, Vintage game mm-hmm. shows and fall asleep for a little bit. Wake up in time to watch Oprah. Still have to look pathetic when your parents came home so you could get another day off. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, there's a reason why. I mean, the, now you're starting to realize, like, why I love certain things I love, like vintage game shows. When we got Game Show Network, I was so excited. And that'll be that'll be another episode. Because you and I are going to cover really that area of... I have to talk about Supermarket Sweep. Yeah, and we are going to branch out into cable when we talk <laughs> Which about was on Lifetime. Because that was on Lifetime, and Press Your Luck was on USA, and yes. I would watch those at friends' houses. And I think we can't do an episode about game shows without watching, mentioning some of the stuff that was on cable. Match game. But with cartoons, 
we will stick to the syndicated and not yes. the Saturday morning because it's so important to our childhoods because yes. so many of the cartoons that people remember more than anything else were on after school and not necessarily on Saturday morning. Your G.I. Joe, your Transformers, your He-Man, Voltron, Ninja Turtles, Ninja Turtles, Disney Afternoon, Disney Afternoon. I believe Gem Be- was Beverly Hills Teens, My Little Pony, She-Ra, Yes. The Thundercats, like these were all after school or before school, depending on where they aired in the market. WDCA 20 in the mornings used to air um, old school Popeye cartoons mm-hmm. and also Gumby. So, oh God, Gumby. Which was fucking so, mind so, bending. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for being on this one. And then um, we will, I will have you on the next well, one. Well, and if you're interested, I can talk about the time I met Urkel sometime. Okay. I've met Urkel. Maybe I'll do a celebrity encounters episode. I have had the most random celebrity encounters. Like, nobody good. All right. Well, thank you for being on. (laughs) Sure. concludes our programming for today. We welcome any comments you may have regarding our programming. It Came From Syndication is located at popcultureaffidavit.com with our email at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and Twitter at popaff. Pop Culture Affidavit is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Some of today's programming has been mechanically reproduced. It Came From Syndication wishes you a pleasant good night and good morning. <laughs>